uh, many years ago on a on a sunday afternoon in uh, nashua new hampshire where i played most of my cricket in the late 20s even to early 30s now i'm kind of retired uh, uh, but after you know another loss during my captaincy you know we did a post mortem uh, in the parking lot uh, it was cordial you know but we were like you know looking at what went wrong because a lot of things were going wrong every week and then one of my good friends i have no names because he probably will listen to this uh, he asked me this question i don't know why he asked me uh and like like my opinion mattered he asked me who do you rate better captain is alan border or imran khan because we both were from india and you know those were the two you know heroic figures during our time and i said look uh, imran is somewhat of a leader you know the stuff he did with pcb and you know how he got inzamam and kasim umar and you know all these stories we hear his template could not be replicated he was ahead of his times he was like a general on the floor and uh, alan border you know you look at the men who succeeded him was part of a system he created a template and you replace border with taylor taylor with war with ponting and you see the success didn't break because that uh, success could be replicated a lot of water under the bridge since that conversation my views have changed i 100% don't agree with what i said but there is still you know an overwhelming consensus you know because i have more knowledge than i had in my late 20s when i spoke those lines and uh, it remains very much of a po- popular you know uh, conversation on twitter today if you are on cricket twitter you know your favorite fans your favorite journalists everybody has an opinion about captaincy do we attach an overestimation do we give too much credit is it the numbers what happens if clyde lord captains bangladesh will he get the same results is it about the personnel there's such a rich conversation and i sometimes don't have an answer not because i'm chickening out but i think both sides of the house that speak uh, and make their case have a lot to say and today at uh, cricket with an accent you know we have the biggest panel and let's hope for a you know firecracker of a conversation welcome to the show and uh, let me introduce my guest uh we have uh, kevin framp making his uh third appearance in the pod a uh, very well known voice on cricket twitter uh, an aussie settled uh, englishman settled in australia i know um, you know i haven't had enough coffee welcome to the show kevin thanks saki how are you uh, i i'm well and then we have also gurkira singhil again you know i use this line no introduction needed really no introduction needed if you followed him a very very measured account you know backs up stats you know and also tackles all the difficult questions he also has his own show gupshap with kill so if you don't follow him you don't need a plug in from my small podcast but if you some if you are someone who doesn't do that do that because you're missing out on a lot kurkirath how are you thank you sakib thank you for that introduction i'm good and uh, you know like i've always told you uh, captaincy is one thing that i always look forward to discussing because that is one thing that you really can't judge from numbers alone and uh, you know it's something that is discussed mostly in hindsight and not with a lot of foresight so uh, yeah it it always makes for an interesting topic because you know with hindsight anyone can you know make sense but if you w- really want to judge captaincy you have to you know take into account some foresight and then talk about it so really lo- looking forward to today's conversation and uh, yeah i mean Uh, you said that your small podcast i still say that <laughs> your podcast still bigger than uh, my youtube show hopefully uh, you know in the days to come and in the future both of us uh, you know grow uh, exponentially and you know we make people think about a lot of things uh, which are related to sport and you know perhaps even the society uh, through sport if possible 
Yeah, that's very kind words. You know, we can pretty much wrap the show now. I got what I wanted, but uh, no, no, no. <laughs> really, you, you make a lot of sense. I mean, I try to ask questions and you know just learn, and hopefully the listeners do the same. And then on that note, let me welcome Aftab Khanna. His fourth time on the podcast. Uh, he's a warrior. It's like five uh, forty-two wherever in the world he is, San Francisco. I don't know how many cups of coffee will you know make him get here. You know, he's also a new dad. So welcome to the show, Aftab. I mean, you know, as measured as ever. Looking forward to your responses today. Thank you very much, Sakib. I'm uh, delighted to be part of um, this uh, wonderful panel with um, and connecting with some friends on Twitter and getting to talk to them on a very relevant topic. Um, no cups of coffee yet, and uh, dads around the world would recognize that early morning is the best time to do these things when the kids are sleeping. There you go. Again, you know, there's a bonus. You learn something new every time this guy speaks. Welcome. Uh, we have a new, uh, we have a debutant here. Uh, Sudatta Mukherjee is joining us. Uh, she's an ex, uh, I think, sports star contributor. Again, a big following on Twitter. Uh, this is our first time. Me and Sudatta just, you know, exchange greetings before we started recording. So lovely to have her here, and I'm sure she'll pack a punch. And you know, with her knowledge, uh, this podcast will even get better. Welcome. Thank you, Sakib. Excited to be here. Last but not the least, uh, Vijay Arungam. You know, doesn't need an introduction. You know. Uh, and something about about his account, you know, I got introduced to him on Twitter through, I think, common acquaintances, just started following. And uh, he's made for, you know, this kind of a platform. Uh, he he packs a punch in his views and uh, brings a lot of historical reference. And um, he's my generation, so a little biased there, but, you know, uh, Vijay is a delightful follow. And uh, if you are following his uh, Twitter timeline, if he's engaged in a thread, I would say finish the thread. And, you know, even if you disagree with it, you still, you know, walk away with a lot of food for thought. And that's what we need in these kind of platforms. Vijay, welcome to the show once again. Thank you, Sakib. Very, very generous words. I know this is my second part with you. I'm so glad that you brought me back because I wasn't sure how my performance was in the first one. So the fact that you brought me back, that tells me that I've done, I must have done something right. Again, very, very excited to be part of this uh, great panel. Uh, really look forward to this particular conversation because this is a topic, as you rightly said, we don't, I mean, we need a fair bit of uh, analytics and data, but uh, it requires a fair bit of context uh, as well as historical understanding and, uh, you know, how we interpret things as uh, Gurkhid rightly pointed out. So I'm sure. really, really looking forward to it. Thank you. So let me stay with you, Vijay. I mean, uh, if, and we'll go around the table for this first question. Everybody, if you can do like maybe 30, 40 seconds, a quick answer. What does captaincy mean to you in cricket and has that definition changed for you guys? I mean, just, you know, whatever comes to mind and then we can get, you know, officially into the group of things. Sure. Uh, so thanks, uh, Sakib. I think the answer is yes. Captaincy is very, very important uh, for cricket because as a sport compared to a football or a rugby, a cricket is an episodic sport where there's a lot of activity happening on the field, but captains are able to make decisions on the fly on the ground, at the ground rather, because it's not a sport, it's a team sport, but it's played between two individuals at one point of time. Now, historically, captaincy has remained the same, right? You still lead 11 people down to the ground. You're supposed to score more runs. You're supposed to get 20 wickets. You're supposed to get a victory in a test match. We're talking from a test match context. So there's a fair bit of tactical captaincy. You require a fair amount of people management. And then what has changed in the last 10 years or so is the evidence-based captaincy because we got the analysts, we got uh, big data, we got uh, AI, ML, and all these new things have come in, which means you have to get rid of these historical biases and start to marry it up with data points that's available. 
and that makes it for a, a rich and rewarding experience. So to answer your question, captaincy is very relevant. If someone tells ask a question whether captaincy is overrated or whether you need to have a captain to a team, why can't you have the 11 best players and let them perform? I'll ask a counter question because do you need a coach? Do you need, need an analyst? Do you need a, a net bowler? So the reason why I'm asking the question is it has got big relevance, captaincy. It has changed a fair bit due to the changing circumstances and the available data points, et cetera. But it's still as relevant as it was in the past. But those captains who embrace the change are the ones who are doing well. Those who are stuck in the past aren't doing well. So that's the way I would like to summarize. Uh, and because the reason why I'm pointing this out is a lot of people have started to talk about, as you rightly pointed out, right? Uh, you have the 11 best players, you can put anyone as a captain. And if you have 11 average players, even the best captain cannot uh, add any value. Of course, there, there are some uh, truths to the argument. But in general, you need a strong leader, a strong people manager, a strong tactical captain, and also a captain who embraces data points. That's how I would like to summarize uh, Sakib. Yeah, uh, quite well said. So, Gurkirat, uh, you want to come in quickly and uh, you know set the set the tone for this conversation, so we know yeah. which way are you leaning. Uh, adding adding on from uh, what Aftab adding on from what Aftab said that uh, captaincy is important, but it cannot really outweigh the quality of the team. Uh, how I view captaincy is, I think it it becomes more and more important as the format becomes shorter and shorter because say. Uh, I, I feel test cricket is, is a format which is designed to make sure that the team with the higher quality will win eventually. So I think captaincy becomes a lot more important in T20 as compared to uh, test match, especially if you're talking of in-game in captaincy. And uh, yeah, it, it's it's definitely important. I, I don't think you can say that it's, it's irrelevant or it's overrated, but it really cannot outweigh the quality of the team. Uh, it, because if... if uh, like uh, I think it was Ian Chappell or I don't know who who who, who the person was who said that uh, anyone could have uh, captained uh, the Australia side of 2003 and 2007 to the World Cup wins, especially if you look at the margin of wins. So uh, that is where I stand on it. Captaincy is important, but it really cannot outweigh the quality of the team. All right, so I was uh, unmuting myself, and uh, Sudatta, uh, your your quick definition of where things are when you look at cricket captaincy and the discourse around it. Uh, in my view, uh, a captain is like a general of a uh, team. I mean, it's practically without a captain, it's a sh ship without a rudder. And in today's game where it has become um, so technical, uh, where you need direction at every point, at every ball, uh, you need someone to walk up to the bowler or between runs, you need someone to uh, be there, talk to the other batter. Uh, a captain plays a very vital role. Um, and you don't need your captain to go and tell you how to do your job, but you need the captain to boost your morale. So I see a captain role as the most vital role probably uh, more vital than the manager or the coach. And uh, we have some very interesting captains these days in all the teams. Uh, it will be very interesting to see how the captaincy changes over time as the game changes. Uh, interesting. 
Kevin, do you want to come in here and see, you know, if uh, generationally we look at this differently because some of, you know, we are getting, you know, a big subset here, but there is some variety of, of opinions. Where do you stand with it? Sorry, still haven't figured out the mute button. Um, I am very much of the opinion that the job of a captain is to get the best is to get the best out of their players in the heat of the battle when the test match is actually going on. Uh, so there are several ways that that they can do that. So it's it's a mix of people managing tactics, um, knowing the people knowing the players that you need to put a shoulder around, the players that respond differently to different sorts of motivations. Um, but I think the one commonality is that all of the great captains manage to impose them, their personalities onto the teams that they lead. Um, and I think that is one of the, one of the things that makes a great captain as opposed to a good captain. Um, but I also very much agree with the point that uh, captaincy cannot rise above or below the level of the level of the team. Uh, a, a, a good captain is not going to turn a bad team into a good team. It may, he may make a bad team, a slightly less bad team. Um, but uh, that's where I sit. No, that's fair and very interesting. And uh, after we want to wrap the opening lines here, and where do you fit in this uh, this you know spectrum of conversation when it's about leadership and captaincy? Yeah, I'll make three sort of very quick points on this uh, Sakib as, as as the opening. Um, so the first, I'll talk a little bit of just about my personal evolution. Right, I look back to when I was thirteen, fourteen years old, watching a lot of cricket and what I expected from a captain. And when you're that age, I'm just looking back at myself, right? I think I expected the Indian team captain to have the tactical brilliance of a chess grandmaster, the charisma of a movie star, the uh, popularity of a, a, a politician, um, and the leadership qualities um, of a five-star general. And when you uh, mature a little bit in life, right, and especially having spent so many years in corporate life, you realize that the captain of a team is, it's like any other leadership position and you kind of need to evaluate and treat it like that. Gurkirat makes an excellent point around foresight because unlike a prime minister or a chief minister or a governor, you don't elect a captain. So you have the option to put some thought into who you want to make a captain and you can remove them quickly also if you've made a bad choice. Um, so that's an interesting point. The second point I'll make, which Vijay brought up is, Captaincy has evolved now, I think, over the last 10, 15 years. As Vijay said, you know, there's so much data input that's available. There's a coach as well. And in many cases, now you have more high-profile coaches. Um, so the role of a captain, what is he doing via V the coach? And how much does he need to influence versus how much does he just need to absorb and guide inputs and do man management? I think is also evolving. That's a fascinating topic of conversation. And the third thing I would say is, and I know I might have mentioned this on one of our previous pods, I certainly mentioned this to in one of our, uh, I mentioned it to you in, in our private conversations, is that a, a good captain can potentially do limited, uh, there's a limited upside that a good captain can bring to a great team, but a bad captain can really harm a team. So the downward sloping curve is much, much steeper and deeper than, you know, than, than the slope on, on, on the upward side. Um, and that's something that people sometimes tend to forget. Um, so I'll quickly make those three points. Um, and, and my personal opinion is it's more and more shifting towards finding a good man manager than, you know, an, uh, an astute tactician. Um, 
that you know which probably would have been the case some years back all right so let's uh, continue in the vein of you know what everybody has said in this this could go multiple directions i saw like you know some uh, agreeable uh, observations but i think we have a potential to disagree uh, and i'll start with rebuilding if we take uh, you know the transition from the azhar to ganguly era and in between if we sandwich the tendulkar years uh, sort of ganguly if we and we have to take examples because you know this is a narrative driven conversation and narratives are good because that means we all care uh, we have our blind spots so do i uh, but the question is so when someone rebuilds a team in the case of ganguly is that leadership or is that captaincy so i can start with you uh, vijay uh, what do you think and and is that a big function of captaincy if someone takes over a team that's struggling or whatever reasons they were we all know that so where is leadership and captaincy fit in if somebody's rebuilding a culture it's a great question uh, sakib uh, i'd like to say it's more to do with leadership again i'd like to point one thing right captaincy in a in a structured rule based societies like australia and england is a little bit different to captaining a cricket side out of india or pakistan or sri lanka where it's more of an exception based society than a rule based society right so cricket teams don't exist uh, in a vacuum they exist or they are part of the society where you see day to day life right the traffic uh, you know chaos or the orderliness etc cetera, etc cetera. so an imran khan or a sarah ganguly or a mahendra singh dhoni or a tiger patari they got different kind of challenges to deal with so to coming back to your question on sarah ganguly let's set some context right so indian cricket was kind of at a at a low ebb because sachin tendulkar uh, had uh, uh, walked out of captaincy had uh, resigned and he wasn't a very happy camper because he wasn't getting the team that he was after and indian team was kind of mired in those match fixing allegations around some of the players were not cooperating uh, including there were allegations uh, against the coach of the team so we had a couple of farcical as well as reasonable committees going through Uh, the ins and outs of what happened during that uh, uh, saga of match fixing and every day there was always something in the press about you know how you can't trust the indian team you know who is getting money it's literally from being superstars of indian cricket they kind of became you know can you even trust them so from that from that perspective saurav ganguly had a difficult uh, job and also the strength what saurav ganguly had was he understood the stakeholder management in indian politics stakeholder management in indian cricket politics is very different to how you run a, a corporate club or a company right here you need to look at the different zones and uh, different pulls and pressures of regions how do you manage the bcci secretary as well as the, the president board president and what do you want for your team so from that perspective saurav ganguly was pretty good pretty good in the sense he understood indian cricket needed professionalism he knew that indian cricket had to bring in Uh, overseas expertise though andrew kokinos was there as a as a consultant or a, as a physiotherapist during the mohammad azruddin era who was recommended by bob simpson so john wright's appointment was very very important saurav ganguly knew that he didn't have all the answers to take indian cricket to the next level he had the ability to pull the strings to get the job done while he needed expertise he needed those people with the expertise on coaching so john wright who came from um you know kent and you know how he was a the great coach over there so uh, of course there was a fair bit of influence from rahul dravid in terms of having played at canterbury so bringing in the expertise so saurav ganguly had this vision of doing that for indian team then 
he went around you know picking youngsters and you know he kind of had a bit of focus on fast bowling etc etc i don't want to get into the details of what saurav ganguly did which, which pretty much most people have followed so number one to answer your question yes it's all about leadership putting the building blocks in place getting the right expertise so that india can start to compete well overseas that was his from a test captaincy perspective from a one day cricket perspective saurav ganguly's team again right after having lost pretty much eight out of nine, or seven out of eight games in australia uh, how do you transform so uh, the 2000 nairobi then it was called an icc knockout tournament now it, then it became uh, the champions trophy he brought in zaheer khan yuvraj singh so it's again right uh, it's all about bringing youngsters and the ability to bring in the talent that he's after and again i think that's where you need to ask a question what were his you know gut feel like you know was he making the right selections versus was he a great tactical captain i would never ever say that saurav ganguly was a great tactician on the field he wasn't a mark taylor uh, he definitely wasn't someone who outthought the 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 opponents right from that perspective we had to be fair to him what he did was the overarching structure and bringing the right players the next thing i think this will f- flow into virat kohli as well right indian team though they have been aggressive in the past i mean to, depending on how you define aggressive nature kind of in the 80s and 90s they became a bit of uh, timid i think in one of the interviews um, brian mcmillan the south african all-rounder said indians never talk back we could just keep on sledging them all day we can say anything they'll just nod their heads in a slightly condescending way the indian nodding of the head right and the bobbing of the head and they would just keep on batting or whatever they were doing rather than t- giving something back to the teams so this kind of this timid nature of indian cricket team became a stereotype i think that's where sarah ganguly rahul dravid and some of the leaders started to impose a little bit more and in indian teams especially when australia toured india in 2001 especially steve war the the poster boy or the pantomime villain of you know mental disintegration uh, was given back a little bit and again what sarov did i wouldn't agree all of that you know making uh, steve wait at the toss was it uh, was it gamesmanship versus was it a tactical decision it's borderline right so the persona of the indian team the outlook of the indian team plus bringing in the right structure and bringing in the foreign expertise i think those were his you know legacy or successes of sarov ganguly but the problem with sarov ganguly his captaincy has to be reviewed as two parts his captaincy from 2000 till 2002 or 3 or 4 and especially after 3 he started i mean especially after the tour of pakistan the next couple of years were pretty woeful uh, in terms of his captaincy the other thing saurav ganguly never was a person who led from the front his best batting years were in the pre captaincy era some of them were there around uh, uh his one day cricket little bit on test cricket but he never led from the front like a, a sachin tendulkar or rahul dravid he was never the number one batsman to lead from the front so his contribution has to be looked at from that angle from a context overall i would say very positive captain a captain who did lot for indian cricket but unfortunately the second part of his career he did damage a lot of his reputation and he did try to bring down uh, some of the building blocks he had put in um in his earlier tenure so you have to give him a balanced scorecard on that for saurav ganguly that's where i would like to summarize sakib no it's pretty astute so gurkirath you know uh, i want to bring you in you talk about this stuff you know at various forums so agreement or disagreement i don't know how you feeling with what vijay's response is so do you see uh, do you want to unpack what vijay said uh, using man management and do you think 
if it is man management to build a team and understand what's needed you know for for a successful team uh, how do you differ it from the tactical nuance because a lot of us think tactical nuance is okay what baller to bowl from what end if the wind there you know or the batsman the match up what feels so do you think it's all leadership or do you think there is also a lot of tactical nuance going on behind the scenes to create a very competitive outfit that can start performing everywhere like you know india started rebuilding in the ganguly years so firstly before i answer this i i just want to you know uh, let the viewers know that i started watching uh, post the 2003 world cup i was quite young then i think 6 or 7 years old so uh, i haven't really followed the ganguly era of captaincy a lot but uh, you know if if i am ever so there are two examples of captaincy i, I always brought, uh, bring up which are rarely discussed and one of them is that of mashrafi murtaza and the other is of darren sami now if you look at these these guys uh, it's not that they uh, it's not like mashrafi murtaza had has won big trophies or anything but if you look at him as a leader and as a captain he was tactically astute and he was a very good leader uh, you know i think the last 5 or 6 years or probably even the 7 8 years of his career he played on one knee after having so many uh, knee surgeries and he ensured that he, he was he was the leader when bangladesh reached the quarter finals he was the captain when bangladesh beat south africa in a series at home he was the captain when uh, bangladesh beat india at home so he he was also the captain when i think bangladesh beat new zealand at home which which had never happened so you know that is where i uh, talk of the leadership cap, uh, part of it and if you look at someone like uh, darren sami uh, he he's probably united all the uh, all the players who come from different backgrounds we we shouldn't forget that west indies is not one country but it's a group of countries and he's been able after all the troubles that they've had their board for someone like him to still bring the team together you know play for play for the uh, play for the uh, people of of the islands of the caribbean and still all of that while they are still uh, you know having a fight with the board and still being able to win those trophies that also you know talks about the leadership aspect of the captaincy as far as the tactical part is concerned i think in terms of uh, being a tactician or the tactical parts I, for me it's hard to look beyond ms dhoni uh, especially when you're talking of limited overs cricket and i think the tactical part and uh, you know building a team where you have ready replacements ready these two things can work differently because i don't think ms dhoni did the uh, latter very well he really didn't uh, build a lot of replacements uh, for the indian side while he was captain and the biggest example of that is the is the period between 2011 to 2016 a lot of people forget that india really were were, were not even a good limited oversight in that period it's just that we forget because uh, india won the champions trophy in 2013 but if you look at the period from the world cup till 2016 till the time mahendra singh dhoni was actually the captain india lost to uh, india lost an odi series versus pakistan at home they lost a odi series versus south africa at home they lost a odi series versus new zealand away 4-0 they lost an odi series versus england away uh, 3-0 they lost to bangladesh away in a odi series uh, so th- th- these are the few things we we actually struggled quite a lot uh, under ms dhoni post the 2011 world cup and the reason was, for that was because what there was a pattern with his captaincy that if a player was not performing he would eventually go back to the same set of players and bring them in a classic example of that is the oval test in 2011 where rp singh was you know uh, brought on to play for india when he was on a vacation so i think these are different like i said before 
the tactical part and you know creating a team and a culture part these are these are two different things you see the tactical part of the captaincy quite well in a short tournament like the ipl where you see someone like a kane williamson do very well with sunrisers hyderabad but uh, you really can't observe the 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 replacements part or building a team uh, part of a uh, of a captaincy in a two month tournament for that i think the best example currently is is nobody else than virat kohli because of the work that he's done especially in the bowling department so that is where i stand on it i think both of these two things can operate differently and work differently and uh, you know another example of that is is the english cricket team setup because uh, you know i have spoken to a few analysts on my show where they say that all the tactical changes or the bowling changes or anything that are done during an england, england limited overs game they have a lot of backing of their analyst which is nathan leemont and uh, the culture part of it where you know morgan says that uh, after the after winning the world cup where he said that uh, when when someone had questioned him that did you have the uh, uh, the the rub of the, the the rub of the irish green in the world cup so he said no i spoke to adil and muin as well and allah was with us as well so i think the culture part of the english side is associated more with oin morgan and the tactical part of the english side is more associated with someone like a nathan limon who's their uh, uh, who's their analyst Uh, again good kid this quick answer uh, <clears throat> in modern cricket right with uh, multifaceted formats uh, and you said you know t20 also has like a lot of nuances of captainship so what is more in your you know in view is it more leadership more tactical i think in t20 it's more tactical more than test matches yeah it's it's more tactical in t20 because a, a over or two can really change the game and that is why you see a lot of upsets happen in t20 as well but i think in in test matches you need more of a culture you you need a longish process to make a test team than what you need in a t20 t20 is a relatively uh, is actually a very short format where you can plug in bowls by you know being smart about it so i think uh, tactical uh, now is really really required a lot in t20 as opposed to uh, test matches sure so let me bring sudatta in so uh, sudatta uh, what gurkira said and what vijay said you can either you know start unpacking that but my question is do you feel in this era of multiple formats the technical blame game that we play with our captains you think that carries over especially if you use someone like virat kohli as an example do you see his his patterns uh predictable or you know what, what doesn't meet the naked eye when we are looking at a uh, a captain who's you know leading in cross format cricket um i think i'll just first uh, say something about saurav uh nasser hussain once said that before saurav they were a b- very nice bunch to play with with some great cricketers but saurav made them into a very tough determined uh, side you would be out there waiting for the toss and at 10:30 where's ganguly so it says a lot about ganguly's character i mean if if you would have followed ganguly if you had known him in the domestic circuit or if you have spoken to some people who have known him during his school or college days ganguly has always been a person or a captain who plays with instinct he is not someone who thinks a lot uh before he is not uh, someone like dravid or teller like vijay mentioned uh what has worked for ganguly is that his belief 
he has a very strong uh, mindset he's very confident he's on your face he's uh, never afraid of anything and uh, to bring back that steve war uh, incident where he made steve war wait later on he said that he, he said that he actually uh, left his blazer in the dressing room and uh, he didn't know that he was nervous and he didn't know that uh, that actually didn't uh, steve war didn't like it uh, he it, it's it's gangli is a very interesting character um, he is someone who has uh, pulled the team out uh, from a very uh, lowest point at that time of the indian team to a position where the team started believing that they can actually go ahead and play against teams like uh, australia uh, those uh, tw- uh, 2001 series when and uh, then later on the, the 2003 final these are very important milestones in gangoli's not only gangoli's career but his career as a captain in the indian team had we not seen those phases of uh, indian team we would have probably uh, india would have probably been stuck in that nice guy zone of the 90s uh, about kohli kohli when i look uh, i always feel that uh, it is too early to um, judge or analyze a captaincy which is not yet over uh, kohli is still it's very early in his uh, career uh, he is what 32 33 he still has a few years at least two world cups at, ahead of him if not two at least one he's the modern day modern era sports person who defies age uh, probably unlike the past players he will go on to play for a longer period and be a captain for a uh, longer period but what works for kohli is that what kevin mentioned that the character of the captain brushes off uh, into the team what you see the team is like is actually the character of the captain shikhar dhawan in 2015 had once mentioned that everybody wants to be fit and healthy um, in their top form is because kohli demands it from the players yeah, it is what he mentioned that he that indian team is one of the fittest at that time so it says that kohli has a high demand he is a captain unlike dhoni who uh, didn't like talking about cricket uh, when uh, off the field who liked uh, asking their uh, his cricketers his his teammates about things which are not related to cricket he is unlike dravid who will go and talk to the players and make those technical changes kohli is someone who again boosts the um, energy on the field so that your best translates out your best performance comes out and that is why you saw shiraj's uh, performance that brilliant innings that he played you must have noticed that shiraj he also went ahead and told shiraj to come down so yeah, kohli is a totally different kind of a captain uh, than uh, ganguly but what helped ganguly is uh, that killer instinct uh, that uh, the belief and uh, kohli is someone who who is a tad bit like kanguli but the situation is totally different from uh, for kohli what it was during kanguli's time
Sure, I think uh, you gave me a lot of food for thought, and I'll try to get th th some very, uh, I'll try to get now uncomfortable questions for everyone because I think we have a very decent start because uh, this is what this podcast says: there's no right or wrong, right? This opinion making exercise. So let me bring Aftab here, and I'll throw in my own bias because I won't be giving opinions. But Aftab, you know, this again a Ganguly era question that Sudatta touched mm -hmm. on, and then Vijay touched on. Uh, there's not major disagreement for me, but in my opinion. There is an overestimation here because I use, I'll use one of my favorite lines from that movie, Dark Knight. I don't know who says it to who, but it's something I think towards the end, the night is darkest just before the dawn. And the use case I'm presenting here is between the fiasco that played out, fixing Azhar, Tendulkar, not wanting the team he wanted, then Azhar comes back, Sachin said, I'm not going to captain again. And Ganguly took the same team and yeah, he gets a lot of credit for belief and India were not nice guys anymore. But I still think it's like, Situation couldn't have gone any worse. We had the personnel, we had the Dravid, we had the Kumbles, Srinath. The team will, you know, if the team had good captains or steady leadership, it would go forward. And in my view, a lot of people will hate me for this, you know, but I'll put it out there. I think we associate a lot of bravado with Ganguly because he took over a failing situation because uh, you can always, you can only go up. And uh, I hope people don't, you know, <laughs> dismiss my podcast after this. So after, where do you, you know, what do you recall of those years and, and do you think I'm being harsh or do you see it differently when we talk about the bravado and the leadership and the inspiration, all that hero, hero book stuff that uh, gets uh, attached to Dada? Yeah, it's an interesting point. And um, looking back 20 years ago, I sometimes wonder, you know, what the arc of Ganguly's captaincy would have been like had India not won in Calcutta and had that, you know, had they lost that series at home, three zip, three, three zip and how long he would have carried on. Um, but to be to be fair to him, um, I'll make two, two or three points here. One, and I'll make a controversial opinion. I think his predecessor was probably the worst choice uh, of captaincy uh, that, that could have been there, right? And this goes back to Gurkirat's foresight point. Any Indian selector who had any kind of foresight after Tendulkar's first tenure as captain would not have appointed a captain again. Um, and you, you then had a team which had a good, decent core in Dravid, Kumle, Ganguly, Srinath, right? A core that was trying to change the culture of the team from what had been a fairly unequal, you know, um, individual-based culture for pretty much the last two decades. But that core needed someone, um, you know, to, to, to drive it forward. Um, and as I said earlier, right, drive the management, man management, drive a set of tempo and a culture for the team. And Tendulkar was the worst person to do that job because he was rightly or wrongly so absorbed in his own game right and you needed someone who could lift their head up so to give credit to to ganguly right i agree that he he wasn't the great tactician but he understood the the mechanics of operating an indian team in an indian culture very rightly said by vijay and to some extent where we are today with all our money with all our systems in place the degree to influence or the need to influence those mechanics has kind of gone down for a captain in india but not 20 years ago and the third point i'll make is you know man management and setting the culture is such a nebulous concept that you can only evaluate it from a retrospective lens and the best way to evaluate is by talking to people who are there right so if you have the likes of yuvraj harbhajan sehwag zaheer right people who started their careers in that era speaking very highly of ganguly I think we have to attach some merit of it and we shouldn't just brush it away as like PR exercise or oh, they'll always say, well, you know, good things about their leader or captain publicly. Because what indicates what that indicates to me is there's this culture in the team now where someone young is coming in and they're 
told that there is a presence for them and they'll be allowed a certain rope um, and allowed a certain amount of runway to get settled um, and to you know not necessarily tailor the game that's brought them into the team to the demands of international cricket, right? It's what the very cliched expression we use, expressing yourself, right? I mean, to me, it's just like, let an individual be, right? And that goes back to the whole man management leadership piece, you know, that that I was talking about. So to me, I think that is the, the, the thing that needs to be probably appreciated the most about Saurav. Um, and to some extent, goes underappreciated about Dhoni because Dhoni took the team over at a time when he had superstars all around him and he was the least experienced person. And so he had to navigate. It's like, you know, you bring a CEO from outside with people who've been in the company for like 20 plus years and now you have to take the company into a different kind of a journey, right? And how do you do that by not like creating mutinous fires all over the place? Um, and for someone like Kohli, the challenge is a little bit different, right? And this is the paradox of when we say uh, a captain is only as good as a team or a captain, you know, a, a captain who has a great team will always do well because the challenge that comes with a great team is that now you have Ashwin and Jadeja who are equally good. So who sits out? And how do you manage the ego and the conversations around that? So how do you make sure that Ashwin who sits out of two test matches, if he has to come in on the third test match, is playing equally well, is equally motivated, right? And it's the same thing with his four fast bowlers. So riches also create problems. Um, abundance brings its own problems for a leader. So I think these are kind of like different um, facets that um, sometimes in my mind go unappreciated. But to answer your original question about Ganguly, I think to me it's like, the dressing room culture that he led, it obviously did not get created by himself. He had a core group that wanted to create a certain kind of identity for the team, especially where it was coming from. And yeah, it could have gone, it could have gone even more further south. And, you know, it's, it's an entirely plausible scenario that India loses the home test series 3-0 to Australia. And then who do you turn to for making your next captain? Because Dravid's probably not ready. He's struggling for form. Uh, do you go back to Tendulkar? And that's a disaster in my mind again. So, um, I think he, he gets a lot of flack for right reasons, Ganguly, but he, he deserves his share of credit as well. No, no, I think he, he deserves a lot of credit and uh, I'm in a small minority uh, because I have my blind spots on, you know, like anyone else. Uh, so, you know, absolutely, you know, uh, to the point answer. So, Kevin, you know, there is definitely a hero worship culture in subcontinent. Everyone is an Indian here besides you. So, how do you view when you exchange pleasantries with, you know, the Indian Pakistani cricket fans. What is the defining point here in leadership when you see who gets appointed captain on our sides and compared to who gets appointed captain in England or even Australia? You probably study the Australian team as well because of Ashes, you live there. Uh, granted, Mike Brearley is an exception. India will never have that kind of a captain. But usually from Imran Khan to Bedi to Patodi to now Kohli, Babar Azam, you know, there's the same culture that prevails in India and Pakistan usually the best player or the second best player gets a job and it doesn't really happen in uh, England because, you know, if someone is a captain, they're captain from school. They're not, they, they, they don't have to be the best player, but there is an astute understanding of the game or they go to a private prep school and the county cricket. There is like a roadmap. So how different is that culture from our culture when you look at captains, who gets a job and, uh, and that probably also multiplies into leadership, how that person who's been projected as a golden boy or the savior say at Sussex or Worcestershire, will eventually, you know, wear the uh, hat and make English uh, cricketing decisions. Then someone like uh, Azaruddin or uh, Dhoni, who in a lot of ways were accidental captains. And they, again, turned out to be different geniuses. I mean, Dhoni is a genius and Azar is not a genius, but, you know, he got a lot of results. 
So how do you read the cultural clash and just throw some light here? I know it's a packed question, but yeah, fire away. It's, it, it, it's an interesting one because in England, certainly we've had a mix of captains being the best players, the, the most high profile players. And then you have, for example, somebody like Nasser Hussein, uh, who clearly was not the best player in the side, but turned out to be by far the best captain. Um, and in all of my time watching English cricket, I think Nasser was probably the one that I had the most time for as a captain because the, 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 the distance that he brought that side from where we were in 1999 uh, to where we were in sort of 2003, 2004 was, was night and day. Um, but we've also, you know, we've also gone through the loop of giving the captaincy to the best player, for example, uh, Ian Botham, going back to the early 80s when he was clearly the best player in the side, um, the biggest personality in the side, uh, but turned out to be a very, very poor captain. So I think it, from, from my from my viewpoint, it seems India certainly goes down the road of the best player or the highest profile player more often than not. Um, but England have certainly gone down that road too. Um, and, the, and they're in that situation now with, with Joe Root, obviously. Um, I think the thing that has probably changed in English cricket is that you no longer have a tradition of an English captain getting to the captaincy of the England side with a lot of county captaincy experience under his belt. So you no longer have uh, the tradition of a Ray Illingworth or a Tony Lewis or a Mike Brearley. Um, captains, certainly English captains anyway, now have to learn captaincy on the job. Um, I know Joe Root had a game or two in charge of Yorkshire and certainly in one of the games, uh, I think it was against Middlesex and Lords, he, he set Middlesex and in, he, he declared on Middlesex and set them the enormous target in the fourth innings and Middlesex knocked off the runs. Um, so I, it, modern, modern captaincy in the era where you don't play county cricket and you don't play warm-up games pretty much your entire captaincy career is going to be is going to be international cricket it must be it must be one heck of a job it's certainly from an English perspective I think the English test captaincy in a lot of ways is a more difficult job than it's ever been just because the the expectations are so high um, but they are absolutely having to learn on the job and that's at that level, that's an incredibly hard thing to do. That's a, that's a fairly good point. So uh, let Vijay respond to it in a second. So Kevin, uh, again, so with Mike Brearley, you know, he was the polar opposite of not leading from the front. And you probably had some of the greatest Ashes win and the most storybook Ashes win under, upon his recall. So do you think there is uh, one in today's world, do we appreciate what uh, happened there? And secondly, you know, hindsight is always like greater wisdom. Or uh, you think uh, there was an overestimation of uh, what he was doing? He could have been a non-playing captain. Of course, he's one of my heroes. I had him on the podcast. <laughs> it's, you know, I really enjoyed his books. I mean, 
but it's still a fair question because a lot of fans today don't understand the importance attached to his brilliance um i think brearley is an example of the of the point i made earlier that one of the the main functions of a test captain is to instill belief in their players so that they can produce in the heat of the moment when when the test match is on the line and the main thing that bringing really but did back did was to to galvanize both them um who was the catalyst for everything that happened in that series in 1981 and and both them is on record as saying that no no captain ever gave him the confidence that really gave him you know really really had that way of making both of them feel like he could do anything at any point on a cricket field um and there is a genius in that um but also you can you can you can make the point that uh, that really was overstated in some ways too because for all of really's genius you have to bear in mind that the ashes series he won in australia in 789 that australian side had been decimated by packer so that was basically a reserve side and then when the australians got all of their players back following australian summer we we came down in a non ashes series and we lost 3-0 um so you can also make the point again that the captains cannot rise or fall above or below the level of the talent they have in the team um but one one of the interesting things for me in terms of the captaincy discussion is how it's changed over the years because now you have a situation where most of the analysis and tactical work is done off the field so all of all of the tactical plans are going to be in place before the game starts and and probably most of the changes that go on during the game are also going to be as a result of consultations with the analysts and the coaches and all of that so to my mind that means that what you're left with as a captain in terms of the most important things that you do nowadays is is as i say creating that culture where the players feel that they can produce their best and express themselves on the field and you know people culture isn't culture's an easy thing to laugh at um but i think it's incredibly important because certainly from an english perspective you you read stories about i i remember reading an interview with mike atherton for example and he talks about when he made his debut in 1989 he went into the dressing room and basically nobody talked to him he was you know he he come out of cambridge university and played a few first class games and uh, and and nobody talked to him so imagine that you can't imagine that happening in in most in most sides nowadays because the hot, the the point of culture is that it has to be inclusive so everybody has to feel like they're a part of it and i think that's an incredibly important part of the modern captain um that probably wasn't as important 20 or 30 years ago because people didn't used to talk about culture back then that's very interesting so vijay you want to come in and weigh in and then i even have a follow up question for you Sure. Um, thanks, uh, thanks, Akib. I think I'd like to give a couple of points to what Kevin, what Aftab said, right? 
See, culture is something, uh, as, as Aftab said, it's a nebulous term, right? Culture, uh, team spirit, uh, you know, people fought like warriors and hunts. Sometimes it's easy to write these great storylines based on, you know, afterthought or, you know, after the event has happened. But I'd like to look at it from two angles, right? There are certain things which we have followed and we have felt at that time, right? Say some captaincy at this time, it was a great win. But sometimes what happens 12, 18 years later, we started thinking, hang on, that was great by, back then, but so many other things have happened. And therefore we start to downgrade the importance of that particular win. So certain qualities of certain captains or certain wins keep diminishing over a period of time. On the other hand, certain achievements which weren't appreciated at that particular point of time they get added to the legacy or nostalgia they become bigger than what they were before so that's one thing i want to call out so the other thing aftab's point right uh, he brought a very interesting point about how the yuvraj zahees and uh, harbhajans talk up saura ganguly you could have a, a you know related example to how the allen borders and david i mean um, Sorry, for Alan Border, David Boons and Jeff Marsh and Dean Jones and Steve Wars, they all literally say the same thing about Border, right? I mean, we could always argue whether Border was the best captain or Taylor was better captain. We could always argue right, whether Simpson brought in the changes, right? But what people felt, what younger players felt at that time, that makes a huge difference in terms of how they define the aura of the captain. So Border fell into that category to some extent, Saurav Ganguly. The only difference was Border was more of a very hands-on contributor, right? Including those great innings against the great West Indies attack. Saurav didn't contribute as much with his bat to lead from the front. So in that way, they were different, but similar. Now, this brings to the other topic, Rahul Dravid, right? Because man management, if that is so easy, if the culture is so easy, let me give a slightly different example, right? Let's go back to the 2006 uh, Indian tour of South Africa. Right, so India plays this uh, uh, three-day game at Poch right before the Test match. We India had a disastrous uh, one-day series; they lost four-nil uh, all the games. And Sachin Tendulkar was not doing well. Virendra Sehwag wasn't doing well. What did Greg Chappell do? Greg Chappell pulled them aside as a coach and said, "Sachin, if you don't do well, you need to take a break." And he had some very harsh words for Virendra Sehwag. Now, this is where you know, having lived in Australia for 13 years, I understand how they talk. A typical Australian straight shooting culture is very different. But what happens at the Greg Chapel, Ian Chapel household is something completely different. It's even by Australian standard, it can be a little more difficult, right? Very direct communication. So when Greg Chapel said those things to those two senior players, right? As Aftab talked about, right? Dhoni and superstars. What did Rahul Dravid do? Rahul Dravid, he thought what Greg was doing was the right thing. Because as a captain, he felt he needed a change to happen. But what he didn't realize was his superstars weren't ready for that kind of direct feedback. In whatever we have read from Sachin Tendulkar and others, but in the Sevag, right? There's always the feeling that Rahul Dravid as a captain didn't back the players. He rather hid behind Greg Chappell and he pulled the strings through him. I think that is one of the reasons why the dressing room was toxic. So when we talk about Rahul Dravid, I would give it to you that he was a much better tactical captain than Saro Ganguly. He led from the front. He scored tons and tons of runs in difficult conditions, no doubt about it. But his biggest problem was he just didn't know how to handle the dressing room and foster the right culture because Greg Chappell was a very different personality. So when it's easy to say, oh, Saro did a bit of culture, Rahul couldn't do that. Of course, John Wright was somebody who was in the background and uh, for everyone's understanding, Greg Chappell also applied for the same role at that time, the Indian selectors and the captain, they chose 
John Wright, not Greg Chappell. And as everyone knows, Saro Ganguly used Greg Chappell as an interim coach even before the 2003-04 series when he came to Sydney in winter and practiced a fair bit in preparation for that uh, upcoming series where he scored the brilliant 100 at the Gabba, etc., etc. So it was Saro Ganguly who kind of nominated Greg Chappell. But once Greg uh, came in, at that time, Saro was uh, relinquished of his captaincy and then, or relieved from this captaincy. And then when Rahul Dravid came in, uh, so he wasn't able to manage. So that's something I just want to call out as well, right? Because it's easy to brush it off as saying it's nebulous, but it's a lot harder to implement. And also the other part is this culture, this dressing room sense, all those things. When a team wins, a lot of these things are papered over, right? Because people say, it is a great win despite the differences. Like it's, for example, right? Adam Gilchrist and Shane won. They never liked each other. But if you had just watched TV, have not read anything, you would think they were the best buddies. Right? They were hugging all the time, you know, back slapping, et cetera, et cetera. Mates. But they just, I mean, at least Shane won didn't like uh, Gilchrist and Gilchrist reciprocated the same thing. There was no love loss. So when teams win, a lot of these differences are papered over. When you lose, all these stories from the dressing room get, you know, they get leaked, especially in Indian cricket. We saw during the sordid saga of Greg Chappell and Rahul Dravid. Every other day, somebody was leaking some stuff to the press, which means doesn't matter what team you have on the ground, how tactically brilliant you are. If your culture is toxic, as it was during the Rahul Dravid era, India underperformed and didn't do well, especially in one-day cricket, where they fail in every major tournament. The test record is better. So that's something we need to look at it holistically, because it's not just you could win. Uh, without having the right culture. You, you can't, you, sorry, you can't just win with a great team. You need the right culture to go with it. And great food for thought. And I think we'll need four hours because I have a lot to say, but I'll let Gurkirat come in. So Gurkirat, fire away. What do you have in mind? Yeah. Uh, you know, this uh, culture talk that, you know, uh, like Greg Chapel took over and Rahul Dravid uh, was, was behind him. I think a lot also had to do with how uh, in Indian cricket you, you you let the captain control everything because uh, before and after Rahul Dravid, uh, the, the captains have had everything. They've even had a say in selections. You know, uh, N. Srinivasan actually vetoed the selectors to not remove Dhoni as the captain after the 2012-80 debacle. So, uh, but if you see in the current context, especially if you see the IPA, you would see that uh, you know, you, the coaches are uh, are calling the shots. You look at a, an example of a Delhi Capitals, you know that Ricky Ponting's calling the shots over there. So I think even that could have been avoided if uh, things would have been clearer from, from the beginning. And, uh, you know, uh, like Vijay said, and I was about to say it as well, that, you know, uh, sometimes despite not having a great culture, you can get results. And as long as you're getting results, it doesn't really matter because it doesn't come out. Because... Uh, the the few there, there are also good things that have happened under Greg Chappell. Uh, India actually started to chase in ODI cricket. There wasn't the same sense of nervousness that was there before. We made a record of uh, you know 17 consecutive chase wins. And if you look at it, uh, the middle order that India had in the 2011 World Cup, which was so crucial and so critical in the knockout games, and uh, where you know Raina, Yuvraj, and Dhoni stepped up. All of them came about under Rahul Dravid and Greg Chappell because Rahul Dravid realized that, you know, being in the middle order or play, batting in the middle order is a tough job. And then he exactly gave that kind of an extended run to these players, which was missing in Kohli's captaincy earlier. You know, if you look at the first two, three years of his captaincy, which is why India couldn't really nail down the number four. So I think there are, 
aspects of Dravid's captaincy as well, which you know, like we just said about him being tactically more smart or tactically being better, which you have to admire. And at the same time, I think culture is something which you uh, allow it to be. If you lay down the rules from the beginning, if you tell, you know, if you lay it out, every, uh, you know, quite clearly uh, with with complete transparency to everyone. Okay, these are these and when so calls would be the calls of the coach, so when so calls would be the calls of the captain. Then I don't think you know uh, it becomes that difficult. Also, uh, you know something to add over here. Uh, now all of us keep uh, talking of uh, MS Dhoni, and all of us look at MS Dhoni as being one of the greatest captains India has had, and his biggest legacy is obviously the 2011 World Cup. Uh, and you know this is where I have something to add. Now he had, he'd started the World Cup with Yusuf Pathan, and up till the end of the group stage, Yusuf Pathan had played uh, uh, all the games and Suresh and I had just come in for the last game against West Indies because Virendra Sehwag had to sit out due to injury. Come the knockouts, he dropped uh, dropped Yusuf Pathan and play, played Suresh Raina. And for right reason as well, because Suresh Raina was averaging around 19 uh, for the last 6-7 games that he had played and Yusuf Pathan had scored a brilliant 100 against South Africa just before the World Cup. So it made sense to play Yusuf Pathan. Now, it's it's a different thing that Suresh Raina had performed in the quarterfinal against Australia and then the semi-final against uh, Pakistan. But you know, just just imagine and think about it. If Suresh Raina had not performed in those two games, India would have lost. All the talk would have come down to like, why did you make a change? You know, come the knockouts. Why did you you know uh, make a change that was not needed? Why did you make such a big change? And he did a similar thing in the uh, in the semis as well because. R. Ashwin had two great games, one in Chennai versus uh, West Indies and then versus Australia in Ahmedabad. And come the semi-final, he dropped R. Ashwin and played uh, Ashish Nehra, who's, who's had had a terrible World Cup till then. Uh, everyone remembers him giving 13 runs in the last over versus South Africa. And it so turned out that Ashish Nehra became the best Indian bowler on the night. And uh, despite Pakistani spinners, you know, bowling 30 overs for only 120 runs and taking four or five wickets. And again, had had India lost because Ashish Nehra had given more runs, or etc. etc. Then all the talk would have been like, why do you drop someone like Arashwin who done so well in the last two games? So uh, this is, you know, this is what I meant by how captaincy is judged so much, uh, you know, in hindsight and not with with the foresight. Okay, that these might have been the changes. I think one thing that all of us and you know, cricket cricket viewers in general need to accept and realize is that captain only makes 9% of the team statistically. Okay, Even if you treat captain as two players where he's one playing his primary role as that of a batsman or a bowler uh, and then being a captain, then also it makes one-sixth of the team, which is 16% of the team. So, captain can never really, in a way, determine results as to what you know social media or narratives might look like. it Because at best, he's only comprising 16% of the team. And, you know, 8% of the players that are playing the match. So, it's very difficult for one person to ensure that the result changes in such a massive way. This is one thing that I wanted to add because I, I feel this is something that, you know, we need to talk about uh, much more loudly and uh, much more widely because this whole narrative which has been, you know, uh, up in our faces since the Lords and then the Kooliism and everything, people don't realize that uh, you know, it's not that Indian sides haven't had the energy before or uh, it's not that they haven't been pumped up before. Being pumped up is one thing. Even England were pumped up when uh, Rishabh Pant uh, got out. But, you know, being pumped up doesn't necessarily give you the results. You you need to have the skills to back it up, which is, which is something that the, this Indian team has it in abundance. And 
I think that is what decide uh, games more often than not than you know what all the narratives might look like. Might make think, it look. Like. No, I think you unpacked a lot of stuff there. I'm sure others will have something to say. Let me quickly bring in Sudatta. She's had her hand, and let's see, is it on the Dravid Chapel Ganguly stuff? Sudatta, you want to weigh in? Uh, I'll just. Um, um... interesting that vijay brought out uh, mentioned dravid because in in my personal opinion when i look uh, all the captains that india has had since azharuddin's appointment until dhoni uh, came each and every appointment has been on the factor that india has reached a low point in that particular phase and then you have an appointment of a of a person during a moment of crisis but for dravid the crisis i mean crisis manager is a term i associate with uh, rahul dravid a lot uh it's quite similar to a, a very popular uh, late politician pranab mukherjee uh, there is this piece on the uh, on a particular website where uh, the author writes that uh, pranab mukherjee could have become the pm in 84 and 2004 but didn't and uh, he went, go, further calls mukherjee as a man who knew too much but was a rahul dravid like wall for congress if one notices this uh, i mean if you further draw similarities between pranab mukherjee and rahul dravid uh, you can see a lot of uh, things that uh, that 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 is quite uh, visible that like mukherjee dravid wanted to like uh, did dravid want to become uh, the captain to, we do know that dravid has suggested to power that dravid that he didn't want to remain the captain ahead of 2007 england series because it was affecting his batting at the at that point of time post gangli there was hardly any leaders who were ready to take up the responsibility of a team like india a team whose standards had risen to a much higher level than what it was before 2001 from the match fixing days india was a india had become a powerhouse in cricket Contin- continuing from there and a part of the chapel uh, controversy which attracted so much of audience was because india's rise uh, and everything related to dravid was the crisis manager at that point of time even uh, later on uh, the, there have been moments when dravid played a crucial role uh, for i mean adding to uh, going back to a previous point which uh, shakib you asked whether uh, you question whether really we can question bravado and like relate the words terms bravado and leadership with ganguly i think i will agree with you a bit, a bit. bravado is a word that i actually relate with kohli rather than ganguly it's that uh, that that quality of kohli is quite visible for ganguly it is probably that leadership quality rather than the bravado that came that helped him uh, where he had a young bunch of people who looked up to him he had dravid who were, who who made debut with him who played who started a career with him which what is interesting in this whole ganguly to dravid uh, captaincy transition is that ganguly had actually said that if he wanted to play under a captain it would have been uh dravid because they have played a lot of they have played together they, their mindsets um it's like a bit of north pole south pole so all these things uh, uh 
matter a lot. Uh, the last point that I I like to bring out is the uh, is the culture that keeps on popping up every time that we speak of uh, cricket. Uh, cricket is is a game of emo emotions and nostalgia, and we thrive a lot on the extremes of the game rather than technical technicalities. If you and uh, whether it's Srinivasan or Dungarpur or Dalmia, all these select chief selectors, uh, they have always made those uh, emotional uh, decisions at some point of their life. Dungapur with uh, Tendulkar, Azaruddin, Dalmia with Ganguly, Srinivasan with uh, Dhoni. Uh, and uh, again, uh, this, these, these are the things which matter a lot when we are talking about uh, captains and their style and the influences and the hold they have had in, in the team. Uh, also, uh, the obsession for uh, having an Australian coach in the Indian team and uh, despite the fact that uh, the culture of Australia and India is totally vastly different if you do not understand the culture and you get a person who uh, comes and takes over the job, it will become very difficult, not only for the captain, but for the whole team management. So we cannot really uh, like forget all these things when we are discussing captaincy and everything related together. That's my point. I think you raised some very interesting points about Ganguly having the faith in Dravid and then Dravid being the crisis manager. I think this can itself be a podcast. And uh, those of you who haven't listened, I had said we on the podcast less than 15 days ago, and we put a good 80 minutes on the Dravid years. And because I still think that's a topic a book should be written about. Dravid, Dravid's uh, silence speaks volumes. Uh, he's diplomatic. You know, we can also accuse him of that. He's one of the most loved and respected cricketers, but his captaincy has the nation divided. Uh, yeah, and I have my own biases, but I'll bring in Aftab here. And Aftab, I want to just ask you whatever you have to say. You can say that, but also there's a question for you. I know you have limited time left. So we talk about Dravid, you know, as the you know successor to Ganguly, and then you know he didn't know how to handle Chapel, and he his silence, and he's somewhat a diplomat. Whatever stays in the room stays in the room. He felt suffocated. We all know that, right? But we don't talk about his uncomfortable vision, which was. His chapel's vision was his because he's never ever said that he was against chapel, right? All the other cricketers have said that. So what part of leadership is that to have like this tough vision, which may be not respected in that time, but in the end, it gave path a new future where you can have the current captain be asked to step down, even though it was not Dravid's idea and that helped Ganguly rediscover. And it was a very uncomfortable road. You know, we don't know if he was an architect for that, but we seldom give him credit for asking that kind of an uncomfortable situation. If a team is there, it's stagnated. How do we get better with our superstars? We have to make some tough choices. Chapel takes the brunt of it, but to me, David was his 50-50 partner in there. And maybe it was the way to go. But again, this is all hypothetical. David has never written a book and he probably won't write a book. So uh, say what you have to say and then answer my question about the vision. Uh, you know, and what part of vision... What function of vision? You know, leadership is vision, actually. Yeah, go ahead. Well, I'll, I, I'll tell you why he doesn't get credit because he's never owned that vision. <laughs> um, you know, and he, to this day, I mean, he's silent about that whole episode. You know, probably the reason why he was silent during the episode because, you know, he, he he's, he's trying to kind of balance, 
his cricketing instincts and beliefs with his relationships um, that he had with the with people in the dressing room um, which to me is probably the most uh, disappointing sort of legacy of the the Dravid captaincy because it was quite clear that he was aligned with what Chapel was trying to do right and Dravid being Dravid you would you would believe that you know he's a thoughtful person he's very deliberate about what he wants to do where he wants to take his team as a captain and and, and he kind of had a certain idea about india as a cricketing team some elements and fragments of which you see today right the the ability for players to kind of flex up and down um the, the emphasis on having a fit team um and all of that but but the pity is that he he hasn't owned up to that vision he's starting to or he he took that vision and he sort of implemented it um to a great extent when he was at um during his time at nca and india right but he but he's totally silent and so the, that's the other thing about leadership right do you own up to to how you want your team to be and you know what what is the kind of uh performance or culture you want to drive with your team and it's a bit of a contrast right because i think to some extent you could see um that with dhoni although in dhoni's time there's a big cliche about we follow processes and all of that right i mean the, the euphemism behind following processes was like we are not a prima donna team or a team of prima donnas right we will focus on getting the basics right and in kohli's time you know there's probably nobody less articulate than kohli and he's kind of fairly upfront whether you agree with him or not that he wants his team to play in a certain way with a certain type of personnel right and i think that sort of shyness on dravid's part um on owning up to his vision um is probably the reason why that debate still continues um uh, all around today i'll make two very additional quick points for which which i raise my hand i think one uh, we even, even in a well functioning team how the captain manages the fringe players and sets them up for success is 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 sometimes an intangible marker of success right so if you see somebody like rohit sharma in any other indian captaincy era perhaps you know prior to maybe kohli he would have been dropped right had it, had he had he been a player in the tendulkar era he would have been dropped after three games never to play again right as happened with so many people but dhoni persisted and literally transformed the arc of rohit sharma's career when he got him to open in the 2013 champions trophy at a point of time when a lot of people you know had doubts about him and it's a similar thing of dhoni's belief that you know he saw a test player in virat kohli when he was like a really raw unfinished um uh, youngster and you know maybe a few years down the line you'll probably have kohli and dhoni and, and rohit and kohli have already spoken in glowing terms about dhoni's captaincy right and so that again goes back to my point that even when you have good personnel there's work to do right it's not a given that the team will really do well the last point i'll make is and this is you know i'm just going to throw it out as a provocative question i think 5 years down the line with evidence in our hand it'll be it'll be great to discuss this in more detail how do you measure culture and captaincy and vision when you have three different captains for three different formats at the same given point of time but you have the same coach so is it the coach defining the culture or does the captain really have any influence when he's not on the field for the entire time of the year with different kind of personnel right is is the is the test team's culture the same as the as the limited overs team's culture you could probably say in england's case today it's it's morgan's culture more than 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 roots vision and roots culture right and you could look at australia and say it's nobody's team is just in langer's team and that's why there's so much drama around it right it never happened in australian history before that so much dressing room drama is going on it's probably the last time it happened was when kim hughes was captain right now there's so much drama around langer because there is no strong leader amongst any of their you know either white ball or red ball formats and so when we look back at this retrospectively 5 10 years from now when we've had enough evidence of multi format captains at the same time 
it'll be interesting to see how you then evaluate you know this whole captaincy piece especially this part around what legacy lot vision how did the you know the captain change the team because the captain's not with the team the whole time Uh, that's quite uh, fascinating i think you should be asking the questions <laughs> uh, so what 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 are you doing for time after i know you had a time constraint can hang on for another 15 okay all right so i'll try to get you in one more time but i think this is a very good flow what we are having so kevin i know you have a hand up uh, you probably have something to say but i'll bring in gurkirat quickly here so gurkirat you did say something about uh, t20 captaincy has more implications in the short time the game changes and you know sometimes uh, at least my generation we underestimate t20 i warmed up to it due to fantasy leagues but still test cricket is my primary choice of you know watching cricket uh, so let me ask you this right what aftab just said you know kohli is captaining in all three formats we don't see this in england or australia india right now if cricket is an education our cricket education is as superior as anyone because you know we have world class teams in every format that being said i have a certain reservation and there was a lot of noise when you came in the podcast earlier in the year now it's settled down maybe it'll start again at t20 why can't india have uh, different captains at least for t20 and rohit sharma with his ipl titles i know we talked about it if someone can win ipl with i know the team has foreign players but still it's about you know if you if we take your uh, token that t20 is a dynamic game and you know you make quick decisions why wasn't why hasn't rohit been considered to captain in uh, in the at least one of the white format white ball formats talk about that i think this uh, as a culture uh, like like it was mentioned before we tend to make the best or the second best player as captain and uh, you know purely from that point of view uh, you've never seen indian captains being you know relieved of their captaincy or you know dropped from their captaincy just because Uh, uh just because the team is losing it only happens when their own personal form is also you know on a decline i i i i haven't seen any indian captain that has been removed as a captain because of the results it has only happened when their own personal form has been declining and that hasn't happened with kohli so just because our culture is that you know uh, there never is even a conversation amongst the people or the voices that matter that should we try a split captaincy and, you know like after mentioned i think uh, probably in the next your four years we might even have to uh, see that there could be not only split split captaincy but split coaching as well especially with the uh, with the fatigue that comes in with the bio bubble because you know uh, the formats are growing so much apart from each other you rarely see uh, any player or you know be it a batsman or a bowler who's adept or you know very good at all three formats i don't think even if you you can you you can say all uh, even if you look at the fab four and you can say that all four of them are all good in Are, are very good in all three formats. I don't think you can say that is that good in T20s. Even Root doesn't make the English T20 side. And similarly for bowlers, you'd struggle to find uh, more than five bowlers who are good in all three formats. So I think moving forward, this might be the case that you might have split captaincy as well as uh, split coaching. You know, when Aftab was talking about uh, the culture, uh, the one thing that uh, came up in my mind was like say. Consider the examples of a Srikanth or a Varun Mahal. Probably, if they had you know debuted or came under uh, in, in the Indian team under a Virat Kohli, probably you know they would have been they be, they would have been much better bowlers because they've been allowed to play or you know express themselves the way uh, the way this team does. You know, Virat Kohli all through the years, if you look at him, you know, especially since the time he's become a captain, he's always said that. He is why he 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 is who he is. He he doesn't you know pretend to be a nice guy, which you know uh, a team that Shishant was a part of really pride themselves on. Uh, 
you know so i think that also has changed under virat kohli that you know whosoever comes into the team is is allowed to be themselves there isn't a, a a compulsion so as to say or a culture where you where you have to be a nice guy or where you have to be a a good guy so as to call it so i think that also plays a part and on dhoni and on dravid i think dhoni and dravid were very similar in terms of following their processes just that dhoni had more conviction and that conviction was the reason why he became successful and that conviction again was the reason why he went down and because when there was a time to drop a few certain players he didn't because he had that much trust in him you know uh, we we talk of uh, ravindra jadeja and uh, and ravichan ashwin losing form and being poor in the uh, poor in the champions trophy 2017 but if you observe their numbers right from the uh, from first jan 2015 i had done this because i wanted to write an article of you know how much of a keeper influences a spinner because you know there there's a lot of but we'll we'll discuss that separately but their form and their numbers had been dropping since first jan 2015 till 2017 it's just that dhoni had so much conviction in a few players that he never chose to drop them uh, you look at suresh raina you look at uh, uh, rp singh you look at uh, uh, you know uh, like i said ravindra jadeja and uh, uh, ashwin so maybe there's also a case that because he had so much conviction in a few players someone uh, of the likes of amit mishra didn't play enough in his prime years and who knows that had he been involved more in the indian t20 side maybe india would have won a a, a title or two in between so uh, this is what it is i think some if we have to give credit to the captains for their conviction and for their ways at the same time we have to be open to the possibility that if they have too much conviction in their ideas it might also lead to their downfall which is exactly i think happened with mahendra singh dhoni uh, in his later stages of being an india captain Yeah, it's very fascinating. I never thought of that way because you're right. You know, we associate a lot of backing the player and have faith and grooming a Raina, for example. That's the name we have been taking. But uh, that's true. There's a flip side to it. If I groom a Raina or a Yusuf Pathan, even after their you know mediocre failures, and then they come good, in the mean in the meantime, I'm ungrooming some other people who are on the bench, basically telling them, you know, this is my Manoj. 11. Manoj Tiwari is a classic example. Yeah. Manoj Tiwari is a classic example. Uh, Subramaniam Badrinath. So there, there, and this has happened under uh, under Saurav Ganguly as well. Uh, yeah, I think they had the same know? template. They had they backed their players, yeah. and you know that's a very fascinating point because you know someone's gain is someone's loss. So let me bring Kevin in, and then we'll jump on the Kohli and Boorishness and Kohliism, the the trending topic. So I want Aftab to have at least few minutes there. But let me bring Kevin in. So Kevin, I know you've raised your hand, but. Uh, you know like again it's an extension i know you have a point to say but i'm also throwing in a question so what we just talked about uh, indians having you know same guy larger than life figure virat kohli and i bet if saurav ganguly was playing t20 it came he would also have captain and dravid or captain okay that's who we are uh, i don't think we have modernized enough or, or maybe we have but we don't have we haven't shown it that we can have multi format captains uh, and and in your uh, you know in the english culture even joe root doesn't find a place in a t20 team So you think that's a function of just accepting and moving with the times, or just because he's just not good enough to play T Twenty? Where do you sit on that, and then uh, finish your thought what you had in mind? So roll the two together. I think things have developed in English cricket to the point where we've realised that the workload, just given the sheer volume of cricket that England play, means that having A, a multi-format captain probably isn't a very good idea. Um, there's certainly, there's certainly uh, 
a point that Joe Root doesn't make the T20 side, but he makes the 50 over side comfortably. Uh, so he could captain the 50 over side, but he doesn't because Morgan has, I think, proved how important having a vision and a culture is because when you think of where that English 50 overside was before Morgan took it over after the Australian World Cup and the, and the complete shambles of the Australian World Cup, what Morgan has put together in terms of that English World Cup winning side is is an astonishing achievement in in such a small in, in a reasonably small space of time. Um, and what that is built on is he is absolutely clear about how he wants that team to play. Um, and I speak particularly from a batting perspective. Um, they go from ball one and they do not stop. And it doesn't matter if they lose three or four quick wickets. Um, they, they do not stop. And, and part of that, and I think probably the most important part of that, is that the players have the confidence to bat with complete fearlessness because they know that if they have two or three low scores, as long as they're playing the way that Morgan wants them to play, they're not going to lose their place in the side. So the likes of Jason Roy and Johnny Bairstow, for example, can afford to be completely fearless from ball one because they have the backing of their captain and coach to do that. Um, so when we, when we talk about what influence a captain can have in the way he makes his side play a certain way and imposes his, his personality and his vision on his side, I think you've only got to look at Morgan as a, as a classic example of that. Okay, so we have nine minutes or close to left of Aftab and I know Vijay hasn't spoken in a while, so we'll start a new cycle about, you know, Kohli and, you know, Kohliism that Suresh Menon wrote. But uh, let me ask you this, Aftab, then, you know, we can, you can quick, uh, you know, kickstart this topic. Uh, in my WhatsApp group, you know, this topic was being discussed after India's win, right? Because everybody's talking about, do we, especially fans of my generation, are we harsh on Kohli? Are we, you know, too much wrapped up in the, what is a gentleman culture? And so very interesting observation came. Uh, because of Kohli's aggressiveness. Again, this is a narrative question. I'll give you the opportunity. Uh, someone said, Kohli will not be an easy choice to captain if uh, he was in Ra playing under Rahane or Rohit Sharma. So that's part one. What do you weigh on that? And secondly, where do you stand on, you know, what went on at Lords? Do you think there was an overkill? Uh, you know, if uh, Ollie Robinson and James Anderson started it, or you can argue they didn't start it. But do we have to say a certain adjective every time? Can't we just... Uh, uh, do selective sledging or is that a point that's just getting lost in generations because a lot of people believe it's okay it's cricket whatever happens in the field stays in the field so there are two questions to you and these very well could be your last questions because I know you have uh, you know have to get back to the family and then I'll bring Vijay and everyone in the same cycle and start asking these questions go ahead I love that term selective sledging um, <laughs> um, so I mean I have been born and brought up in Delhi, lived um, 30 years of my life there. Um, and a lot of, I 
all the colorful language I know um, I attributed to growing up with people in the city, especially with whom I played sports. Uh, so I look at uh, Kohli and his behavior with a little bit of benevolence uh, sometimes because, you know, partly it reminds me of how people are in, in, in the hometown <laughs> and where, <laughs> where I grew up. Um, and, you know, Gurkirat's from my neck of the woods, so he'll relate to it. Um, it's a way of life in Delhi. Um, but, I mean, um, I, I think jokes aside, um, he would look foolish if he wasn't as good a player doing this, right? Which is what, I mean, I don't want to be harsh, but that, that was Sri Shant, right? He ended up becoming a caricature of himself, right? And um, to to his credit, uh, you know, Kohli walks the talk um, and you can't really be as much in your face and, and, and you know, be so confrontative with the opposition if you're, if you're not going to be a good player, right? Um, so... That's that's one part of it, and I think um, I'm fine with Kohli being Kohli as long as you know somebody else is not trying to be Kohli just for the sake of being like Kohli, right? Um, so people have been talking a little bit about Siraj and all. Siraj is a different kind of a personality; he's a little bit more demonstrative, more passionate, right? So you you probably see that a little bit from him. Right, but someone like Mohammad Shami becoming like Kohli would be why I would be like, you know, now some something's wrong with the team because somebody's telling them in the dressing room that you just, you know, everybody has to be in front of the opposition all the time, right? I mean, I'm 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 okay to kind of discount a little bit of over the top kind of sledging at Lords because you know a little bit back and forth going on and 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 I think that's fine. I mean, I'm not going to read too much into it or you know say that you know Kohli's now suddenly turned this into a you know rowdy growling menacing eleven. Um, yeah, I, I, I'm not going to go uh, that far um, into the distance. But again, I think if you blink it back to all the elements that we've talked about um, in the captaincy, I think this is, again, one of those things, you know, from a, that goes back to the point around man management. The captain is a captain and the captain is a personality. And he wants to be, a, you know, his own personality. But can he resist that temptation of casting everybody in his own personality mode, right? And that's, again, another facet of leadership, right? That you'll have different styles of, of, of individuals, contrasting styles and how they operate and how comfortable you are um, in terms of, um, you know, letting them be while still not necessarily changing your own personality to suit you know, the, the rest of the team, right? So you kind of let diversity of personality thrive, right? And that's where this expression that, you know, people feel comfortable in an environment comes in, right? Because you're not necessarily asking someone to change fundamentally um, who they are. Your point around Kohli playing under a, under a Rohit or a Rahane, it's an interesting one, right? And I think at this stage of life and cricketing career where Kohli is, um, my personal hypothesis is where Kohli, the captain ends, probably Kohli the player ends as well, right? And so India is now in this situation where you probably have to keep Kohli the captain, um, just given, you know, the kind of personality that he is. Um, you know, had Kohli not been the captain in 2015, somebody else would have been, he would have probably continued playing, you know, but now given all the, you know, the, what he has done and the and, and the baggage uh, and the, the credentials that he has, I don't see a scenario where this could be a Dravid Ganguly kind of a situation, right? Where Rahane takes over and Kohli plays for three or four years under him. I think India carry on with Kohli. Kohli, the captain, and the Kohli, the player, in, in my mind, are synonymous. I could be wrong, but that's no, 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 my read of the story. Good. But then are we, in a way, admitting or concluding that he's bigger than the game? 
So if we not bigger than the game, but it, no, not not, not not bigger than the game, but I think it's contextual. Uh, I think the answer probably would have been different two or three years back, but I think now where we are, um, you know, at this point of time, let's say if we don't win the T20 World Cup and if we don't win the 2021 World Cup, we have horrible campaigns. I don't think I see a situation where. Kohli, the player, can be put under a Rahane or a Rohit and will necessarily be very successful uh, going forward. I think you carry on with Kohli, the captain, for the while that you can, and then, you know, right. they kind of both end together in my mind. All right, makes sense. Thanks for your time. If you want to stick around and come back, I think it looks like we could be here for another half an hour. But uh, I know, Gurkirat, you have your hand still. Uh, I'll bring you in, but let's talk to Vijay. We haven't spoken to him close to like 15, 16 minutes. So, Vijay, again, you and I have talked about this, and I think uh, as we were prepping, what should be the talking points? And uh, we are similar generation. Uh, where do you sit on this when you read the support for Kohli? You think you feel like you and I and people from our generation are missing the point that this aggression is needed. If someone says something like Rahul said, all eleven will come for you. Is it like a Hindi movie or is it the new way of doing things? Uh, then also we don't want to be everybody's you know bunny. Like people are saying stuff and we are doing the Indian nod, you know. So. Then we have also had, say, if you want to look at toughness, look at Rahul Dravid's eyes. I think who said that, right? That's Steely Resolve. So that all being said, you know... That uh, was Matthew Hayden. Matthew yeah, there you go. Thank you. Yeah. So where is all this coming from? I mean, what, is there a balancing act for Vijay Arumagam, you know, who's been watching cricket for, you know, close to three and a half decades? Uh, how do you process this? Are you an outlier or you still think, you know, you want to call a spade a spade. Again, this is an exercise, no right or wrong, how we consume cricket as consumers. So what do you have to say about what happened at Lords on that last day, the body language and, you know, the abuse that went towards England? Not that they didn't deserve it or they didn't ask for it. That's always subjective. Where do you sit on it? So, Sakib, uh, it's a great question. I'll, I'll, I'll look at it uh, from a broader perspective, right? Let's look at the Australian example, right? Because a lot of people looked at Australia as the as the example of where they play the aggressive cricket. But I think to Aftab's point, Australia has got a similar thing when it comes to great cricket, right? At great cricket in Sydney and other places, there's a lot of abuse. Uh, people say a lot of things when they play some of the very uh, choicest of expletives uh, being thrown around, but they have a beer at the end of the game. So that's the way Australians play cricket at that level. So when it goes up to all the way the test match cricket, so some of the words... Uh, getting thrown around and uh, it's accepted as part of the culture. But the thing with Australian cricket was around 2003, when Sarvan and uh, Glenn McGrath had that issue uh, in uh, Barbados, uh, when you know everyone knows the exact example, right? What uh, uh, McGrath called him and then what Sarvan responded. I don't want to go to the details, but there's a bit of a fatigue in the Australian crowds, Australian people. They thought they were done with the team. They were done with the, the boorish nature of the team. And there was a lot of questions being asked about what defines as a culture. Is that the way the Australian team uh, represent uh, the nation? So now if we juxtapose to India, India is an interesting country right? because it's not one. I mean, Aftab talked about the Delhi culture, about the, 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 the language that's being used and how Virat Kohli, though now he lives in Mumbai, is the microcosm of the Delhi culture, right? Uh, in a way, you would say that it's a bit of a suburban culture rather than a metropolitan culture Bombay or Mumbai being more cosmopolitan. Now, the point is, Indian cricket has gone through different things. And Indian cricket pretty much resonates with the, the political scenario, right? Now, if Indi people of India think in the last 15, 20 years that this is a time for India to give it back to the Brits and the Australians for what they've done historically, this is a moment under the sun. It's very different. 
And more I see the polarizing views on social media as well as uh, some of the TV programs and stuff we've seen the last 10, 15 years, India is getting more and more assertive as a nation, but people think we should give it back. So Virat Kohli represents that kind of a, a culture right now. So he's not out of place. So, uh, so Sakib, you and I might have grown up in a slightly different India where you know, it was a different kind of aggression. We were aggressive, but we didn't have to be in your face. But the India of current generation, the people, men and women and children, they belong to a slightly different mindset and they have different expectations. Therefore, I don't see a lot of them seeing Virat Kohli in the wrong right. The reason I'm asking the question is, which of the Indian media is going to ask the question? Of course, uh, Suresh Menon wrote a piece, right? Uh, and I know uh, Mukul Kesman wrote a piece. But these people are seen as the left-leaning intelligentsia, sorry, uh, left-leaning uh, champagne liberals, sipping liberals, who are a little bit out of sync with reality. That's the impression I'm getting when this kind of criticism is raised about this kind of behavior. Asking for my personal view, I'll put it slightly differently, right? Okay. It's one thing for Virat to get into that huddle and said, next 62 overs, nobody's smiling at England. We are going to give them the hardest or meanest time. Great. When you have four fastballers, you can do that. I think Dilip Vengsaka said in 1989, if you have great fastballers like Vivian Richards did, you could chew the gum and stand on the slip and you know say a few things. But if you have Sanjeev Sarma and Kapil Dev and Chetan Sharma, you don't have much of a choice. Now, coming back to that, the thing with Virat Kohli, the way I judge, you get the results or you don't get the results. 2018, three years ago, he went very aggressively. He wanted to badly win the series. He had a great series. And then India lost 4-1. India lost 4-1. One would argue that, you know, England, the, the, the scoreline flattered England, right? Went to the press conference. One of the journalists, I don't know exactly who it was. He asked a question about, you call this as, as the greatest Indian side of all time. You lose 4-1. And Virat blew his top. And to me, that I have a problem, Right. It's one thing to have all the bravado. It's one thing to talk about, you know, I'm in your face. I'm here to win, et cetera, et cetera. But when you don't win, you need to show humility to accept to the fact that, unfortunately, lost few things didn't go away. But Virat didn't want to take it lying down. To me, that is something that doesn't sit well with me. I have a similar problem. I think I expressed in the last part as well. When Ashwin, for all his greatness as a bowler, when he goes to the press conference, he wants to pick a fight. He wants to put the journalist down. I think it started with Mahendra Singh Dhoni. So to me, I got a problem with this shutting down the journalist and not being allowed to ask questions back. That's a problem. That's a malaise that Virat Kohli carries as a legacy and he wears it very easily. Now, coming back to that sledge and abuse, right? To be honest with you, I would like to say that James Anderson has to grow up a bit. Great bowler, wonderful bowler. He's bowled all around the world. But he's a number 11. Now, he's going to be peppered with bounces, right? That's a fact. Now, we could always say that whether the rules to stop the tail end is being bounced out, is that still applicable? It wasn't applicable in 2017-18 when uh, the Australian quicks bounced out the English tail. But I think Simon Toffel gave a very good explanation on Channel 7 um, when India toured Australia over here. He clearly said the interpretation of the umpires, right? Because even Indian players accused that during GABA, the way Navdeep Sain and others were bounced out by Cummins and others, the umpires didn't call out. So there's always the accusation that the umpires favor Australians to bounce, not the other way around. I think Simon Toffel made a very interesting point about where the, I mean, how tall they stand and, I mean, posturing, how the law is interpreted. Simon Toffel felt the umpires were right to say that if you stand erect and then if the bouncer goes above a certain point, they'll call it as intimidatory bowling. If not, it's within the law. So it's all about interpretation. Now, whether Jasprit Bumrah was 
deliberate. Yes, now, some of the no balls looked a little, you know, out of whack, right? Now, to me, the way Anderson responded, the way, I mean, to, to be perfectly honest, Joe Root lost in that hour of madness or hour and a half of madness uh, on the last day when they wanted to bounce out uh, Jasprit Bumrah. So Root wanted to play the same way. He couldn't back it up with action. Now, Virat came back and said 62 was some mean cricket. He backed it up. So in a way, we need to acknowledge the sporting acknowledgement or sporting uh, prowess of Virat Kohli, right? He had four great bowlers. He had, you know, he had set some great fields and he dropped a few catches. Let's not forget that he dropped a couple of dollies in the slip, but still the bowlers created enough opportunities to win the game. Now, the gesticulation, um, you know, whipping up the crowd into a frenzy, I'm not a big fan, but if that's what the people of India and if that's what the TV audiences want, then I'm out of sync with the reality. That's the way I would like to look at it. But to me, when you win, all these things look great. But when you lose, like India would and India has in the past, let's say they may lose it headingly, right? Now, do you show humility to accept that you're beaten rather than giving excuses or shouting down people? I think that's where I've got a problem with Virat Kohli because in a way he come, comes across as a sore loser when things don't go well. That's quite interesting. So let me, you know, I'm sure others will have something to say. Kevin has his hand up. So Kevin, you can come in quickly. Uh, what happened at Lords? Uh, do you see this sledging or that last day held that India unleashed with both world-class bowling and verbal jibes? Is it any different than any Ashes series where Ponting or Michael Clark and, you know, whatever the legends, you know, have been? No. Uh, so weigh in on that. How do you receive that no, as a fan? No, no, absolutely not. I, I, I didn't have any problem with anything that Coley did on the last day, um, particularly to Jimmy Anderson, who's not backward in coming forward, who's said plenty of things over the course of his career to plenty of people, um, and he can take care of himself. So I, I, I didn't have a problem with that at all. Um, I did, for the record, think that the uh, the bouncer attack on Jimmy Anderson on day three was it I, I did think that that was intimidatory bowling uh, and I said so on Twitter at the time um, but the fact of the matter is that umpires don't step in on intimidatory bowling anymore I, I haven't seen it I haven't seen it on a test field for longer than I can remember um, so to my mind the take out of that is that they should just get rid of that rule because if they're not going to enforce it when uh, when Jasper Bumrah bowls a 10 ball over uh, full of bouncers at a, at, a, at a number 11 if you're not going to enforce the rule at that point then you then you just need to ditch the rule and and we can all get on with it um, but no I, I I don't have a problem I don't have a problem with what Coley did at all and I think it's it's important going back to talking about captaincy and, and somebody certainly raised this point. I can't remember who um, it's important that the captain, whoever it is, is their authentic self. You wouldn't expect Che Pujara, for example, to, to, to carry on in the way that Kohli does um, because he's a different personality. But if that's, if that's the way that Coley believes that he needs to captain and he needs to get the best and he needs his team to respond that way to get the best out of them, then, you know, as, as long as it doesn't get personal and there was nothing in what was said the other day that was personal, it was just, you know, just a few swear words. Um, as long as it doesn't get personal, I don't have a problem with it. Interesting. 
So, Sudhatan, my next question is for you along the same vein. Uh, when, you know, if you were to write about it or if you were to cover this Lord's test, will the cricket stand out or would you have a comment or two for the boorishness uh, that some, you know, senior Indian writers have cited? And then again, same, you know, Ganguly, Kohli, you did say Kohli's all bravado, but I think, you know, Ganguly also, you know, did his shirt, you know, thing at Lord's balcony in 2002. And uh, if you just add inflation of time, I, I see a lot of similarity, you know, how the Indian team has evolved, has become this in-your-face unit, don't mess with us. So where, where do you see, where do you sit on that? Is there room for both? Or do you have, uh, you know, do you have something contrary to say to what popular belief is? Um, the thing that is working uh, with Kohli uh, is that he has brushed shoulders with uh, people like Sachin, Dravid, Dhoni, and even Ganguly to, till a certain point. Ganguly and Kohli didn't play together, but uh, just after Ganguly uh, retired, Dhoni made his uh, debut in 2008. Uh, we often forget that Kohli has been around for a very long time. Uh, 13 years ago, he has learned from the best. He has had some seniors who have been benevolent enough to show him the way, and he has a manager who understands and respects him. Uh, I don't. I do not have an issue with sledging or uh, the boorishness or whatever it is, uh, because this that is part of the game. Uh, it has always been. I I am totally someone who is against the term that cricket is a gentleman's game. It is not. Uh, it has never been. It is something. Uh, probably I don't know how this term came up and keeps coming around. Uh, but you look at some of the past players and it is totally not a gentleman's game. So to, uh, to think that, uh, to say that uh, Kohli uh, is not being a gentleman when he's sledging or uh, when, when he's being very uh, tough on, uh, I mean, he's, he's talking back to players. Uh, I, I think it's just uh, people are being just too opinionated. Um, this, the thing, okay, one thing about the uh, Anderson and Jaspreet Bhuma sin uh, uh, issue thing that happened on at Lords, it reminded me of the Jimmy Anderson and uh, Mitchell Johnson uh, here, uh, same similar stuff at during the 2013-14 Ashes and. If we go back to Anderson, uh, sorry, Johnson's heroics during the Ashes, uh, it, I wouldn't be surprised if uh, Broomra is some at the end of the Patagi series. Broomra's uh, numbers are similar as uh, Anderson, uh, sorry, Johnson's. So the, the, these are this kind of uh, rivalry battles keep on happening, uh, has been happening. So these are all part of the game. What what I what I don't like about Kohli is that uh, look I may be too harsh when I'm saying this but uh, I do not see Kohli winning a ICC final I do not see him uh, winning any any big you know like a World Cup or a T20 or anytime soon. And that is uh, that. That, in my opinion, is because main, he's a guy who uh, who 
plays with a lot of emotions on the on the field and sometimes you need to keep your emotions aside and you need to use your 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 mind your brain and uh, that uh, he's it's nice to empower your team it's nice to encourage your team but he has in the past he has faltered in during tough situations in the finals look he has played uh the champions trophy 2000 uh, 2017 i guess against pakistan where india lost horrendously uh then your 2019 world cup he has been there uh the championship uh, test championship recently and he has won none of it and that says a lot he may have won a lot of series let's not forget that india lost in new zealand australia came to india and beat uh, india and in, in the t20 series these are all factors that one need to keep in mind while talking about kohli and yes we do not keep these things in mind is because when we are winning uh, matches we forget all the bad things when we are when we lose one match we are we go on a like we ask for the head that that's that's those are excellent points but uh, just a counterfactual there is especially for the recently concluded world test championship against new zealand india never misbehaves because you know they are called you know what you said gentlemen playing the gentleman's game so uh, you make uh, a good argument but i didn't see any kohli you know uh, tantrum issues there i think there, I, I think, think, I think it I think for Kohli not behaving in 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 an unruly way against New Zealand is because it's really difficult to behave in unruly way against against any New Zealander. They're really nice guys. I mean, the, it's not just in cricket everywhere. I with I mean, uh, but if India has adapted, probably the Australian uh, nature of playing the game somewhere down the line. like uh, talking back to the opponent uh, giving them back what they have given you they, they have done and i i think this is all part of the game and it should be this is how one thing we, i i need to mention is that silverwood i think it was silverwood who mentioned after the uh, game got over at lords that look whatever happens on field is part of the game what what uh outside that they are very good friends and that is very true in in a in a scenario when ipl is plays a huge role in the lives of these cricketers so i don't think they are it, it's it's a big deal right now wow i mean that's that's a lot of food for thought thank you for for bringing that up so good kira let me bring you in and then uh, we can again go for one more round so you know with what transpired here and then india had a very good you know defining win in uh, earlier in brisbane and sydney rahane was leading the captain so there are a lot of voices and i'm one of those that rahane did captain that series but it was kohli's men right it was his culture shastri was there who aided rahane and you know the team came in flying colors in adversity uh, and the team was still aggressive but now my question to you is uh does the same group of guys if guided differently uh you know will they behave differently because kohli is this alpha male doesn't back off he's doing the loudest celebration the cameras on him his facial expressions are there like an angry young man you know what not he means it he walks the walk but could the same group of guys be led so differently there was aggression but there was not this type of aggression so again culture that's a big term we've been using uh are rahane pujara rohit sharma the outliers if they were given the reins of this team if somebody was sick or kohli wasn't there 
Uh, you know where I'm going with this, right? Uh, is there a line or is there is this automatic that this team has become Kohli's team? No matter who's leading, they will behave in a certain way. No, I I think that there will still be Kohli's team. And also, you know, I, I don't think that everyone replicates uh, the uh, Kohli's energy because you don't see, uh, like you said, the likes of Pujara, Rahane or, uh, you know, even uh, Rohit replicating it. And... It's not that KL's, KL has sledged or, you know, done over-the-top celebration. Also, one thing that, I, you know, people really need to uh, think about and not confuse with it, Kohli's body language and energy has nothing to do with him being the captain. Uh, he would have, you know, if you look at the visuals of the 2013 Champions Trophy celebration, he was still, you know, uh, being the one who was enjoying the most. So, I think... That is what Aftab said. That comes from, you know, uh, the culture that he's grown up in. His energy and his body language has, has got nothing to do with aggression as, as a captain. In fact, I'd say that he's probably, uh, you know, his, his aggression gets passed off as his, uh, as, if, uh, as his aggressive captaincy. Because if you look at it, if you look at the fifth day's play, there were points where he wasn't, uh, you know, uh, at his best as a captain. Because if you look at it, India didn't have a... a there was no way England was chasing this target. And when Jadeja came on to bowl, uh, Jadeja only had a slip. There was not even a silly point or a short leg or a leg slip for him when Joe Root was looking to go on the back foot and maneuver him. Uh, Ishan Sharma also beat uh, Joe Root and, you know, induced a fall shot from him. But there was no gully. There was a sweeper. So, it's, you know, sometimes people confuse his body language with his aggressive captaincy. In fact, I'd say that sometimes he's very defensive as a captain, uh, you know. Like, like I mentioned, these two cases. Uh, you know, I probably, I, I thought that he could have declared even before lunch or two, two, three overs before lunch because India had enough to ensure that England would, couldn't really chase. But the fact that he chose to, uh, uh, you know, reach a target where, they, where it becomes nearly impossible for England to chase shows that he was also defensive and he wanted to ensure that India don't lose, especially after what had happened in the, the World Test Championship. Secondly, uh, you know, uh, this, uh, I've actually forgotten the point, but yeah, I, I don't think that uh, a lot will change even if someone else has made the captain because uh, you tend to take in the culture uh, of, the, of, of the team that you've, uh, that you've joined initially. Because when, and we see that with, uh, uh, with, with the statements that come out from say, the likes of Yuvraj, Harbhajan, Gambhir, Vendra Sevag, etc., etc., about Dhoni now that they have retired. Because they they, they, they they didn't become entirely accepting of what Mahindra Singh Dhoni had done, wherein he chose to drop a few seniors, which probably wouldn't have happened under Ganguly or even under Dravid to some extent. So I think, I don't think much will change. But I, I just want to say this, that his aggression isn't necessarily his captaincy. And uh, one thing which I, I have a problem with is the nice guy nice guy na uh, narrative that goes around with the New Zealand team. Uh, you know, Neil Wagner, if he wants to be, he can be a pretty mean guy as well, with, especially with the way he he bowls his bouncers. And even Kane Williamson, it's not that, you know, he, he chooses to walk when, uh, when he makes one behind. You look back at the 2019 World Cup against South Africa, uh, he didn't walk. He had clearly needed to the keeper. Against England in the final, he didn't walk. He had clearly nailed it to the keeper. So I'm not sure that you know, uh, being able to say nice words and not you know be overly aggressive in your body language can really translate to being nice guys. And another problem that I have with have with this narrative is that uh, 
of all the teams that play international cricket of all the top teams that play international cricket as of now uh you know new zealand are the only one who who's who's playing someone like a scott kugler who who has had much big, bigger issues of the field with him where he's you know i'm sure everyone knows about it so i'm not really sure if this nice guys narrative that goes around with the new zealand team is the right one because uh you know you can't have scott kugler in the team and still be called nice guys you know it's it's the exact opposite of uh, scott kugler is the exact opposite of someone being nice So, yeah, but then again, uh, with all due respect, we've had allegations with Muhammad Shami. I mean, you know, like that, and he does yeah, seem yeah. like a very likable guy. But then, if you bring in off-field allegations, yeah, that, that is what I'm know. saying. So, uh, in Muhammad Shami's case, you know, there haven't been statements where he's admitted to the crime. So, if if he does that, I, I'm sure you know, I wouldn't be very okay with uh, someone like him being in the Indian team. So that is what I'm saying. This this nice guy's narrative is something I think is only being flowing on social media and not particularly for the right reasons because. uh you know it's not that like i said it's not that kane williamson walks when he nicks behind he also chooses to wait just like ricky ponting for the empire to take a call so yeah you know yeah. it's funny no no you are absolutely right these are very good points because again this kind of conversation that's what i love about it can go in so many different direction and you've added you know a lot of value and you know, even for young listeners here who only remember mohammad azruddin as a fixer he was a walker he used to walk and vijay can you know you know validate this but we are not talking about azhar but you know that's where narratives are what your legacy is and i like kohli like you know I, i'm not a big fan but then kohli is very well spoken there the same suresh menon and mike bradley have spoken about kohli's manners in like cricket function so you know look life is not black another and white thing, you know another, like that's how thing, it goes another thing another thing that i want to mention uh, if if we remember kohli's first full time series as captain which was also kumar sangakara's last uh test match uh, last test series as as a player uh, kumar sangakara had a lot to say about you know how kohli had greeted him when he had been dismissed etc etc so i think it's it's just that when he's in the moment he just goes through it and i i i still believe it's got nothing to do with his captaincy it's just the kind of individual he is uh, even if someone else would have been the captain he would have still been this much passionate you know about wanting to win and uh, you know there were examples of that under ms dhoni as well there was examples of is this behavior in rcb as well when uh, uh, anil kumble was captain when daniel vitori was captain so I, i really don't think his body language has a lot to do with what people say is his aggressive captaincy because sometimes he can be ultra defensive and that is where i feel that someone like ajinkya rahane people just think that he's he's not an aggressive captain when his if you look back at the sydney test or if you look back at the brisbane test any other captain with that kind of a bowling attack would have opted for defensive fields but ajinkya rahane you know kept attacking let's not forget australia scored at 3.5 runs uh, in their third innings uh, in the third innings of the gaba test match and any other uh, any other indian captain would have spread the fields ensured that they bat long so that time goes out of the test match so a captain's body language doesn't necessarily define his captaincy which is something you know we which is a line which we are not able to draw sometimes or not you know able to bifurcate the two no that's a very good point gurkirath but you know like that's the beauty of this right uh, even my dad who taught me cricket he's not able to watch because you know he's lost his vision but when i remember him watching he was more of a india flag kind of a guy india's always right and whoever the opponent is and you know and these kind of nuances even i don't know half the nuances like you can make when i try to explain it to him his world is very black and white and that's what the passion of a fan is not everybody's able to shoot down the narrative like you said you know rahane is more like dravid you know like steely resolve 
and even more than David, an aggressive captain, and Kohli as aggressive and individual he is. He's not setting aggressive field. So that's the truth right there. What we capture, what we are able to see, is that Amit Verma's podcast, the seen and the unseen. You know, we see the behavior, but we don't see the aggressive fields. Let me bring in uh, Kevin if he has a hand up. Kevin, is that a current hand or that's a hand from before? No, that that's from before. Okay, so let me go to Vijay and then I'll come back to you, Kevin. So Vijay, Sudhata made a very good point and it's a loaded question, but you know, I will just throw it at you because you know, what the hell, we are talking about difficult questions. So she said, you know, the Silverwood said, oh, these guys are professional. That's what all, you know, that's what you should say because what happened in the field stage, that's, we are there for the entertainment and professionals shouldn't cross the line. But the very important narrative that floats around when the big three, India, England, and Australia go at it, a uh, lot of fans say English and Australian cricketers buckle down because they all want their IPL contract. Again, we are going to very loose territory here. Uh, Kevin, there's a feudal term we use in Hindi films, feudal landlord, Zamindar. BCCI is the financial lord of cricket. We all know that. So Vijay, what do you think? Like when this edginess, you think there are implications? Again, uh, there is no way to prove it, but what you've seen as a cricket consumer for last 20 years, especially with the rise of IPL, even though you may not be a big fan. So do you see, you know, there is an unfair edge that some of the Indian players just have that, even though they don't ask for it. But do you see that where I'm going with this? I mean, I could get a lot of backlash for this, but there's a lot of people who believe this from Australia and England when they see, you know, that their cricketers are vested in IPL and they, in the end, it's all about a good handshake because they want to go honor their contract or they are professionals and we are not getting the gist of it. It's only a game. So, Stakib, uh, I'll go with the, I mean, as I said, there are a lot of people that are saying that on Twitter and other places. Let's pick an expert, right? Nasir Hussain, a very well-respected Sky Cricket commentator, one of the very best commentators in the world. I think once Nasir made a very interesting observation on live TV that David Warner, right? David Warner, this, uh, what shall I say, pantomime villain when it comes to sledging English and other players, right? Pretty much he has got a few chirpy words. And uh, Hussein made a very interesting observation saying that Warner sledges everybody except the Indian team because he knows which side of the bread has to be buttered from his IPL contract. And you could see, I mean, I don't follow a lot of Instagram and other stuff, but Warner is a very popular person with the Hyderabad uh, Sunrisers team and he does a fair bit of promotional activity and so forth. So when Hussein, someone like Hussein makes that kind of an observation, there is a grain of truth in it, right? I mean, at the same time, I would like to put it slightly differently, right? Look at Kyle uh, Jamieson, right? Uh, there is this famous story about how he, uh, Virat Kohli, wanted to face the red ball uh, at nets of RCB. And uh, Jamieson apparently refused it, saying, no, I can't do that. Now, the point is, he, it's a classic example where, you know, Jamieson could have buckled under the pressure because Virat Kohli is the captain of RCB and he's a young pup in many ways in international cricket. And for him, an IPL contract and an extended contract could be very useful and lucrative. But... He didn't, and then he happened to dismiss Virat Kohli uh, uh, at the Hampshire Bowl, right, in the, the Test Championship final, World Test Championship final, the first innings, you know, having used his height and the, the movement. So we could come up with many examples. We could come up with many examples to say why some people, the age has gone off versus the, you know, people wanting to prove more. I think I would like to look at it in a balanced way, right? Let's put it this way, right? These players know they have to do really, really well against India, both in India as well as overseas, right? They have to prove because when they play against India, the Indian scouts and the IPL scouts are watching and any good performance gets noticed and that really improves their 
monetizing ability when it comes to the following auction or the ability to be retained in the team, et cetera, et cetera. So when it comes to these professionals, I would like to believe, right, uh, that they play the best against India and they want to prove the best against India. Therefore, they get a chance of uh, getting well when it comes to, I mean, getting a good lucrative contract. But where the edge might have gone off is like, it's like Kirtley Ambrose, right? When Kirtley Ambrose played as a fast bowler, he never ever mingled with the 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 opposite dressing room. He was always an unknown person, had a mean streak, never smiled. He was never not a mean man to say a lot of things, but he had that bit of X factor, uh, which means the batsman never got to know who he was socially, whether he played guitar, whether he could sing, whether he had a beer. So he always maintained that to create that aura around him, right? Now that is kind of gone, right? Because now, whether it's Johnson or whether it's like, you know, Stark or I mean, Anderson doesn't play, right? All these big superstars share the dressing room. Uh, they may, I mean, they go for these parties. They're part of the same thing. They travel on the same private jets and so forth. So therefore, there's some kind of this, you know, personal camaraderie is built up. And it used to happen in the county cricket, right? County cricket, the West Indians and the Pakistanis and to some extent Australians, they used to be pretty much uh, be all over there. But you could ask the same question, right? There was also big money back then. Uh, for county cricket relative to the era in which they played, right? Don't forget, right? Lancashire and Surrey, two of the two most hallowed county uh, teams in the world, they wouldn't release Wazi Makram and Waka units to play India versus Pakistan uh, Sahara Cup in Toronto in 97. Kind of tells you everyone, when they had powers, they had their own ways of managing things. I'm not equating IPL with county cricket. So there are contractual obligations, there are monetary benefits, uh, there are, in a way, there's a bit of a conflict of interest. But uh, let's take somebody like Josh Butler, right? Josh Butler, I can't believe that when he plays for England, he's going to perform less against India just because his IPL captain is there. I think I would rather put it slightly differently, saying, no, they, he will perform. He will try to beat the hell out of India to make sure his position, either Rajasthan or also wherever he's playing, is cemented. Now, as I said, the cultural thing would have helped them. Now, that kind of helps the Indian players in a way because I could see in some of the sledges these days, these people know the cues, right? How they behave, how they respond to it. So those secrets have kind of gone away, which kind of gives India a bit of an advantage because the linguistic Indians are bilingual, right? They could talk. I think it was mentioned even in the Sky commentary, right? They talk amongst themselves in Hindi or whatever the language they speak. But when they speak to an English player, like the old Lord's chess, they all stick to English. So Indian players have this, you know, language advantage, a linguistic advantage of like, you know, using a couple of languages to confuse when they want to and when they talk to them. While the English and Australian teams don't have, despite all the IPL thing. So in summary, um, it's taken a bit of the edge of it based on the societal thing and, you know, cultural understanding. Uh, but I wouldn't say that there is any underperformance from any of these teams. I think that'll be uh, that'll be disingenuous on my part to say, and I haven't seen any evidence to the contrary. No, you definitely cleansed my question up if it uh, left any room for, you know, ambiguous interpretation. So thank you for that. So Kevin, let me bring you in and let's start wrapping this up another 10 minutes and we should be all done. Uh, we've gone over two hours. So, you know, there's a consensus among my generation of Indian fans. We all whisper in WhatsApp, you know, that uh, the establishment, Kohli, the poster boy, you know, golden goose of Indian cricket, uh, we can all disagree whether the behavior is good or not, but uh, we believe that on the popular or the establishment right is very few question it. 
So if you go back to the English rule or English dominance, like BCC, I have now over cricket health, was there ever a time the freedom of the press was impacted? You don't write, write about Gooch or Botham or whoever, Bob Willis. Did you ever encounter that? Or that's a cultural thing? Uh, do you even understand the question where I'm coming from? Because in India, you know, we do question this, you know, like if someone becomes bigger than the sport, there is a lot of conflicts that will people call this out? So just uh, um, walk freely through this one. I, I can't think of any examples. Um, we've certainly never had anybody that is considered untouchable in the England team since I've been following cricket. Um, the interesting thing for me is the, 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 the analogy is, or the, the comparison is probably better suited to Premier League footballers in England because they are the people who are on the scale of fame and adulation, if you like, that the, that the Indian cricketers have. So it's, so you're not really comparing apples with apples if, you, if you're comparing English cricketers with Indian cricketers because English cricket just doesn't have the profile, even in England, that Indian cricket has in India. Um, but having said that, there's, there's certainly been no untouchable players who, who you don't get called out in the press. I mean, if anything, the, the English press tends to go the other way. They go, uh, they go as hard as they can. I mean, I, I remember some of the stories that were published about both of them back in the day in, in the 80s. Um, so if anything, in, in England, it, it, goes, it goes the other way. No, uh, well said. And that's, uh, that always makes up for a debate, you know, for a healthy way of looking, you know, can sport because such an integral part of, you know, our societies and our lives. That's why, you know, the five of us in different time zones after I've included are talking about this topic and hopefully a few hundred will listen. So let's wrap this up now. Aftab has given his list, uh, the, you know, the, his idea, we all weigh in, who are your five favorite or important captains, the best captains. And he said it was Kohli, Dhoni, Utai, then the Nawab of Patadi, then Bishan Singh Bedi. And uh, what's the last one, if anybody can see? Yeah, and Saurabh Ganguly. So, Sudhata, let me bring you in for concluding thoughts. Give your captains and, and also talk about Kohli in one or two sentences that, uh, you know, does he get uh, scrutinized because of his behavior too? Because we want to keep it balanced. We, I don't want this podcast to come across as, you know, the platform for Virat Kohli Hate Club because, you know, I'm asking some questions because it's not personal. With, you know, with a greater reach like Kohli has, comes greater responses. I'm not accusing him. He should be more responsible. He's doing a fantastic job, but then he does polarize opinion. So who are your favorite captains and does Virat Kohli get a, you know, short end of the stick sometimes? Uh, um, I'll just put out the the Kohli question first and then the point. I am someone who believes that is the, I will only judge or my opinions about a captain's record comes out only after a person is a captain no more because captain, I think Ganguly was the one who said that a captain is like an investment banker. Everybody has a shelf life. And uh, if we see historically, uh, most captains uh, in the past have had a very, um, I mean, poor exit from the team, uh, apart from Dhoni, even Dhoni's, um, final years were questioned a lot 
let's not forget the mohinder amarnath uh, scene and the selection uh, committee uh, having said that uh, i what what benefits kohli in this current uh, england series is that one has to remember there is no stuart board anymore in the team uh, the um, jofra archer isn't there uh, so he he and india have a little bit of uh, advantage and uh, in england really likes uh, good batters right now uh, unfortunately not good i wouldn't say they like good batters they have good batters but unfortunately none of them have been in the best of forms uh, my top five or let i'll just stick to top three because uh, i don't know i am someone again who doesn't want to come across put one of the cricketers favorite and then the other not because everybody has their own uh, personalities they they have played in the different scenarios you really can't uh, compare the team that dhoni had to the team that ganguly had uh, so my top three still will be uh, i'll put dravid first i think he's an underdog uh, then dhoni and the third probably will be um, ganguly that's the from the era that i have followed okay that's uh, fair enough and i'll uh, I- i'll give you mine you know because i won't get a chance to answer a question uh, i'll mix it up with importance and renaissance so i would say again you know i have my blind spot so dravid one then uh, i would say kapil dev two which uh, he should have been one because you know he changed the game but then sakib the boy didn't understand the nuances and politics of cricket that i do now so a lot have gone you know not captured and then uh, i would give uh, the third one to nawab of patodi i read the book he's way beyond my time but i think that was a unique challenge to bring together a young india when we still had the hangover of the colonialism and you know the british raj he came from privilege but how he tied together how he gave up his salary you know in certain series for certain you know uh, maybe appointing a tailor for the team stuff like that so that's like quite majestic for me uh, accuse me of that <laughs> uh, and then uh, i would say ms dhoni because uh, modernization of game you know he was quite limited in test cricket uh was a defensive captain even though i had to rely on others to tell me how defensive he was because i'm not quick to pick up on those things but then he was a genius in the white format white ball format and um i'm not going to shortchange virat kohli for what he's doing he's uh, definitely questioning the way i understand the game he's changing how you know my generation saw certain things but his results are there he's become the winningest indian captain and he may be at the end of the ladder the kind of team he has in the fast bowling culture he's put and we may revisit these rankings you know maybe in a couple of years time so those are my four or five captains so gurkirat you are up next and then we'll ask the same for kevin and vijay and we'll wrap this in the next five minutes uh, it's it's difficult for me to rate five because uh, in quite on in all honesty i've only seen five indian captains since 2003 uh, they're ganguly dravid uh, kumble dhoni and kohli so for, for, for i can't rate all five of them i'll 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 keep it to 3 uh, again odi cricket i think uh, difficult to look past mahendra singh dhoni uh, white ball cricket so he's he remains number 1 uh, number 2 you could have uh, you know rahul dravid and number 3 you could have virat kohli in test cricket i'd say it's number 1 uh, virat kohli 
number two uh, yeah it's it's a close one but i'd say uh, i'd say i'd say dravid or maybe it's it's actually a a tie between dravid and kumble because although kumble's tenure as a test captain was 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 not a huge one but i thought the way he handled the team and you know led the team in that 2007 2008 period especially what all had happened in uh, sydney during the monkey gate i thought i thought that was pretty brilliant of him so for me uh, kumble and dravid are a, are a, are a tie for number 2 and then uh, you know mahendra singh dhoni comes number 3 and like like i said it, you know i thought that mahendra singh dhoni at times especially post 2011 uh, the moment he sat on the plane uh felt like how could i draw the test match which is why i have him, i have him on number 3 because you know there are uh, there are few games that i remember which in where i felt that india really should have gone for the win like in 2009 when india finally won a test series in new zealand the third test india batted on till they had a lead of 600 uh which is quite you know which didn't make sense post 450 or even 500 india should have declared and uh new zealand were only, were eight down by the time the the match was called off and it was a draw uh, then there was another test match in uh, west indies uh, the third test match india had to chase 94 odd runs in the last 15 over 84 odd runs in the last 15 overs and they chose not to go for the chase uh, then then there are a few other examples you know uh, i thought that once the the short ball tactic was successful in lords in 2014 india just kept going to it for no good reason and uh, they paid for it if you look at the 2014 gabba test match where you know they went short 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 at uh, mitchell johnson had got plundered for 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 so many runs mitchell johnson scored 89 so at times i felt that mahendra singh dhoni you know just when he was on the plane thought how he could draw that test match uh, especially overseas so that is why i have him as number 3 or maybe you know that that can change but i think of all the indian captains that i have seen in test matches kohli remains number 2 uh, number 1 number 2 would be a tie and uh, you know but one thing that you've got to give credit to ms dhoni for is i think he's is sort of you know somewhere brought down the 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 superstar culture or or a de facto culture where you felt that team was was that a few individuals were bigger than the team unfortunately you know by the end of it by the time he called it a day or by the time he uh, you know gave up his captaincy the same could have been could be said of him like because I personally felt that post 2016 2017 MS Dhoni wasn't adding much value to the uh, setup and perhaps had he you know called it a day at that point of time his legacy both as a player and as a captain would have been much greater than what it is now some would say that it is not possible for him to have a greater legacy but I don't believe in that I think there's always room for more and room for improvement so yeah that is where I stand on uh, you know these Indian captains Yeah, those are very valid choices. So before I bring in Kevin and Vijay, I'll just come in again once again because I was just thinking if some of my closest friends, hopefully, will listen to it and listen to my response, they'll say I'm being a Dravid fanboy. So I just want to give my reasons. I think sometime with heart, and I don't know if there's any place to think with heart, but Dravid, I think, being the most beloved cricketer, and I became a fan of his very later years when I left the Temple of Tendulkar in 2007 and I joined the religion of Dravid. Uh, I didn't even know what it must have felt like when some of his strongest allies and team men like Ganguly, Lakshman, Tendulkar were all, you know, disappointed with him with Chappell. So, you know, no Indian captain has ever given up the cricket captaincy because he was suffocated. That's what happened. Sid B has written about it. We can all go Google that stuff. It's out there. So, to me that was, you know, the vision even though like Aftab said he never owned up to it. We can always debate to it his silence. Uh he tried to bring in change 
and try to bring in a very difficult, you know, cultural habits, you know, to be put aside. And that's why he's my number one guy, even though achievements wise, he slightly could be slightly behind with what Kohli is doing. But, you know, he had his way of doing things. And I just, not because I have something against Ganguly, but it takes a really, really brave, brave decision or back a decision when you are trying to, you know, ask a captain to go. Because, you know, in other cultures, captains don't overstay. In India, Pakistan, we always ask this question, oh, if not him, who? You know, we are a very emotional society as well. So I'm a byproduct. So that's why I rate Dravid for, you know, the task he is, had, he is at hand. He was probably at fault too for creating the divide in the team. So that's why I rate his West Indies win and England test wins very high. So that's why he's just, my choice. Just uh, to add on to just to add on to what you said about Dravid. And like I had mentioned this previously, he him and Dhoni were quite similar. Just that he lagged, the, like I said, the conviction which MS Dhoni had. And there were examples of that in the IPL as well. If you look at his stints with uh, the Rajasthan Royals or Delhi Daredevils, you know, uh, most of the things would be turning out great for him till the 10th or the 11th game mark. But, you know, somewhere he would panic and then make all those four and five changes. And then, you know, somewhere the campaign would go off. So, I, I just felt that if he probably had MS Dhoni's conviction, probably, you know, even the probably the 2007 World Cup debacle may not have happened, especially against, you know... I, I, no, I think that's I a, with all due respect, that's, I, a larger, that's a larger context yeah. because the team was divided. Yeah. We can have a separate episode, yeah. you and I, on that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, no, but go ahead, finish your thought. I don't mean to cut you off. Yeah, so what, what I'm saying is that, you know, uh, if you look at it, uh, till the 2007 World Cup, uh, India were mostly, you know, becoming very comfortable chasing. But if you look at the Bangladesh game, they, they won the toss and chose to bat when they could have easily bowled first. And when that didn't work out against Bangladesh, then I, I think that... Did they lose the toss against Sri Lanka or did, did Sri Lanka won the toss and, you know, chose to back? I'm not sure. But my, my, my point is that, you know, when push came to shove, Dravid somewhere, you know, just abandoned his conviction that he had up till that point. And I think that cost him on quite a few moments, be it in the IPL or be it as an India captain. Well, that's a very fascinating observation. And we probably will have you back for this. Let's see how this podcast turns out. So, Kevin, uh, you can go... Uh, next to last, uh, how do you rate the Indian captains you've seen, if you want to rate them? I would start by saying that this current Indian side is the best Indian test side I've seen. Uh, so to the extent that the team is built the way Kohli wants it built, I would have to have Kohli as, as the number one. Um, I wasn't a particular fan of Dhoni as a test captain. I thought he was passive and defensive way too often. Uh, superb limited overs captain, though, so I'd, I'd certainly have him as number one in, in the limited overs form. Uh, so I would probably have Ganguly at number two. Uh, I don't really, I don't know enough about the, the captaincy reigns of, of Dravid and Azza to, re- to really make a comment. Um, so it would be Kohli and Ganguly for me. I'd, I'd like to pitch in and just throw in something a little more historical. People have mentioned um, Patordi and Bishan Beatty. Um, I'm surprised that there's no love for Ajit Vadaka uh, because when you when you think of the, the serious wins that uh, India had under Vadaka, uh, I would have thought he would be in the conversation somewhere if you're going to start throwing historical figures into the mix um 
And just as an just as an interesting observation, um, you probably don't have time to talk about it now. But uh, I wonder how good a captain Shastri would have been. Oh, that's uh, that's a million dollar question. We can have you know, like I've been saying, cliche. We can have a podcast about that. I always think Azhar was the accidental choice, and Shastri it should have been Shastri years. Uh, again, some of his bravado and you know speeches are outdated, but I think in that era it might have just worked. So, Sudatta, you want to come in and say something, and then we'll wrap it up with Vijay. You have the hand up, Sudatta. So I thought you had. Yeah, um, the, I, the one thing I just want to mention about this: why I agree with you, Sak, about the Dravid thing. Uh, that uh, a lot about Dravid goes uh, aren't recognized as uh, as Ganguly and Dhoni is because he never uh, taught the. I mean, he never came across a captain who taught the fans, the stakeholders of the game, to come back from uh, to come into a winning positions or to win big trophies. But unfortunately, people keep on forgetting the England series win or the series win in in West Indies. I mean, uh, Dravid also stepped. I mean, I really like this guy because uh, he stepped in as a wicket keeper for Enodias. He was recalled during the 2011. But yeah, those are as players, not as a, a captain or anything. But you, what what people forget also is that Javed uh, was called to do the job. And he always tried to do what was expected of him. Uh, this whole na- word about uh, that he never had the conviction that uh, Dhoni didn't have, and I'm not trying to take away anything from Gurkirat, but look, you need, when when you have a team like Dravid, Dravid did, you really need support from the team management, uh, from the coach. You, you had a coach who had his own uh, agenda or believes there was a team management who, who, which was trying to get the whole team together, get the unity together. And he really didn't have a support from the uh, uh, from his dressing room, his, his some of his uh, best buddies at that that time. So uh, that that's a that's a very important point when we are talking about Dravid and why uh, a lot of people overlook Dravid as as a as a captain. Uh, one interesting point that Kevin made made is that I don't know why which I also agree is that I don't know why a lot of people do not talk about Shastri, how he could have been as a captain because he was totally uh, ignored when Azar, that decision was made uh, that Azar should be the captain. And this is probably where that whole support uh, from the selection committee for a particular player comes in. I mean, Azar had with Dungapur, uh, Dalmia had, uh, Ganguly had it with Dalmia. Uh, Dhoni had with Srinivas and did Javed have, I mean, he did have power, but power's choice was Sachin. So we have to keep in mind all those points while picking those who are the good, who the captains that have been good for India. Yeah, I think you you definitely hit the nail on the topic. And if the Dravid fans are listening, they are happy and I'm one. But I'll definitely say that that he had the support of the board, even though Wang Sekar was breathing down his neck. But the situation had become too hostile to stay when, you know, you don't come out, command the same energy, same respect. It's not fun anymore. I think he's been pretty open about whenever he's spoken about the job, it was taking its toll. So I think that's where we can leave with Dravid. So, but for Shastri, I think Vijay can come in and correct, but I think he did 
uh, go on an America's I think exhibition cricket or something that was the board wasn't sponsored uh, sponsoring that so I think that's the way I think they brought Azhar in and of course uh, the famous line Mia captain Banoge was asked by Dungarpur otherwise it was Shastri's time after Chris Srikanth in fact some may argue it would even before Chris Srikanth was captain to Pakistan Shastri should have been captaining there because you know he had done decently you know I think at domestic level so Vijay the floor is yours Rank okay. Indian captains and mention Gavaskar too because I missed him. <laughs> no, look, I usually put out the all-time 11s and stuff. So this time I'm going to give, give some comments and I won't do the rating. But there are two other topics we have raised, right? Rahul Dravid, right? Uh, I think one thing I want to give a counter to what Gurkirat said about statistics, right? What Gurkirat has pointed out is selective statistics about Rahul Dravid's captaincy. I think we need to call this bluff. About his one-day records, right? 17 chases, all those things, right? Compared to Sarah Ganguly's era, the problem with Rahul Dravid's era, because we want to talk about statistics, in one-day cricket, I'll come to test cricket later. In one-day cricket, Rahul Dravid's team failed every time they went overseas or when they went to a big tournament. That's a fact. There's no no denial about it. West Indies event, they lost 4-1. They lost in Sri Lanka final. They won in Pakistan, of course. They were absolutely abysmal in South Africa, losing 4-0, right? The only time the whole built up about, you know, they chased all this was against a weak England side and a weak Sri Lankan side on home pitches on dust bowls, pretty much. So Rahul Dravid and Greg Chappells, they might have put in the building blocks in place for the Indian one-day cricket about chasing. But the fact that they couldn't win anywhere outside of India against good teams, even West Indies wasn't a great team back then, they lost 4-1. So that fact has to be put out. Then India had champions trophy India hosted Champions Trophy in 2006. India did, didn't even get out of the uh, group stages. Under Saurav Ganguly, went to the finals in 2000, shared the finals in 2002, right? Went to the finals in 2003 of the World Cup. So Rahul Dravid's failure, a lot of people say that his failure is defined by 2007 World Cup. No. His one-day cricket was one of, like, you know, I would say a little bit of, uh, you know, the way I'm, the word I'm after is, it was a little bit uh, inflated by the fact that what they did at home against weak England and a weak few other sides. So when they were tested, they, they were always found short. Now, coming back to the 2007 World Cup, see, we could all say that Rahul Dravid didn't have the power equation, whatever, right? They tried to build a young team. You're right about the fact that he tried to do that. But before the 2007 World Cup, they brought in Anil Kumble and they brought in Saro Ganguly. So all the talk about we'll go with the youngsters and we'll go and define everything. They brought in the old hands. Yes, there were a lot of politics about selectors and all. But the fact that as a captain, he couldn't, like the, the thing that I gave to Saro Ganguly, right? Indian captaincy is very different to an England or an Australian captain. You should know how to work the system and move the stake, I mean, move around and you know manage the expectations of stakeholders. Rahul Dravid, unfortunately, didn't, wasn't very successful. That meant he didn't get the team what he was after for 2007 World Cup. And it was a divided, you know, toxic setup. They failed, unfortunately, right? So from a one-day perspective, I wouldn't rate Rahul Dravid as a great captain because he and Greg Chappell might have put in the building block, but the results were abysmal, except for these inflated home wins. Test cricket, yes. Because A, he was a superlative performer, right? He was leading from the front, scoring tons of runs as a captain. Especially, and I met him uh, at the Hyderabad airport in 2009. Uh, I just personally, I just had a few minutes with him and I told him, uh, Brian Lara and Sachin Tendulkar might be better batsmen than you, but what you did with that 81 and 68, right? At Sabina Park in uh, 2006, that was a pig of a pitch. 
wasn't a great attack, but still on that pitch to bat like that both innings and get a win was stuff of the legends. Right? It's to win in West Indies in 2006 and the win in England were two superb performances. He was a much better test captain, tactically very good, and he read the situation better, etc. But I wouldn't agree with this, you know, one-day performances as a captain because results weren't there. And it was 2007 wasn't a one-off failure. It was a system, systemic failure that led to that. And he couldn't have any control in terms of the team selection, etc. So as a captain, you have to own it. Or you can't just be a, a cheerleader and say that, oh, we like Dravid, but he couldn't do much. Sorry, then you are not good enough to be a captain. That's the way I judge a captain. Now, coming to your historical question, right? Tiger Patawdi has to be definitely referred to because, look, again, somebody could poke holes and say that, uh, uh, you know, his team wasn't the best when it comes to results. But again, I think it was more than more than the actually what he did on the field, right? Bringing teams uh, from different parts of India together because Indian team till 1960s had a lot of politics about, it was almost run like a fiefdom. It, Indian cricket had a lot of class divide, like how English cricket was. So he made, made sure all those things are sorted. And he was a very good captain with spin bowlers, right? Usually captains are judged based on what they do with spinners. And Kev brought up uh, Ajit Wadekar, very important, right? Wins in West Indies in 71. Uh, wins over I and mean, we win in England 71, especially the, the oval test with six for 38 for Chandra was a watershed moment for Indian cricket, right? So, but again, to Kev's point, there are people who accuse Ajit Wadekar being a little bit of a lucky captain, but again, you could always, you know, look at someone and say lucky because sometimes it's 90% luck and 10% effort, whatever, right? And Bishan Singh Bedi was a good captain, but again, the only question was Bishan's. Two instances, right? At Sahiwal in Pakistan, he pulled out the team and uh, Sarfras Nawaz was bowling the bounces. And also his decision at Sabina Park against West Indies, right? 75-76, declaring when the team was hit with a series of injuries and literally Michael Holding, right? I was bowling Beamers and Clive Lord did nothing about it. So in a way, Bishan Singh Bedi was a man of conviction, right? He literally, I mean, Sunil Gavaskar wanted to go to the World Series cricket uh, for Kerry Packen. Ambition would have nothing to do with it, right? So he was a little bit of an idealistic man. He wasn't a person who was a little practical. So in that way, that defined his uh, era. Now, coming to the next set of captains, Sunil Gavaskar. Gavaskar was accused a little bit of being a conservative captain, but again, the bowling attack, what he had in his mindset, he was always a draw first captain rather than go for a win. Now, Kapil, I would say, I mean, 1983 World Cup would be called out as the best result. Absolutely, yes. You have to give him a lot of credit for one-day cricket. But again, uh, test matches, whenever he came against, came up against good opponents like Imran Khan and others, he was always tactically outthought. So I, I wouldn't call Kapil a great test match captain, but he was a very useful one-day captain. And definitely, we need to mention Ravi Shastri. Just on that topic, uh, what you brought up, um, um, Sakib. Yes, after the Indian tour of West Indies, just I think we need to get a, give a bit of context before that. Dilip Vengsaka was the captain. He was the best player in the team. But Dilip Vengsaka had a lot of run-ins with the Indian cricket board, right? Vivian Richards used to write columns when West Indies toured India. Vengsaka would write, but BCCI wouldn't agree to that. Therefore, there was a lot of clash between Vengsaka and the board. Vengsaka said, Viv writes his points of point of view, talking about umpires, pitches and stuff. Why can't I counter it? And also, like, there was a lot of acrimony during the West Indies tour. There were a lot of contractual problems. And they went to that uh, uh, unofficial uh, tour of uh, Canada and America. They played a few exhibition games, which wasn't approved by BCCA. They had to suspend six of the players, which included Dilip Engsaka, Ravi Shastri and others. That played a big role. 
though the supreme court intervened supreme court of india intervened and those players were reinstated somehow the indian board wanted to punish the players and show them their places right dilip engsaka didn't want to go to pakistan in 89 because he was too exhausted with all these legal things happening they chose shrikant as an interim person um and ravi shastri missed out because he was part of that you know member of gang gang of six who went to north america in an unofficial trip now similarly when shrikant came back just to give a bit of another context before india went to pakistan in 1989 there was a big problem with the tour fees and stuff and shrikant singh went under protest so his seat sorry his fate was sealed even before india went to pakistan so he had a good tour first time neutral umpires in pakistan drew the test series but again he was always a marked man and therefore rajing dungapur and others nominated azhar because they wanted a yes man because at that time there were a lot of noises coming out of uh, indian cricket challenging the bcci's monopoly which bcci didn't like even before shrinivasan they were like that and they chose a yes man which as a mohammad azuruddin fitted in a state bank uh, of india clerical position not from a wealthy family humble south indian person perfectly fitted into that kind of a narrative that's how azhar became a captain now one thing about azhar a lot of people talk a lot about azhar but one thing azhar was a brilliant captain with spin bowling right it's like wicket keeper you judge somebody based on how you handle a spinner from a captain's perspective even mark taylor has observed a fair bit in 98 when australia toured india and he has said that he's learned a lot on how to handle spinners etc from mohammad azuruddin now again we don't want to talk about such internal he was extremely a timid more than timid he was more of a stubborn captain now saro ganguly as i said from 2000 to 2004 i would give him a lot of points especially for one day cricket because as i said compared to rahul dravid's time his team whether it's world cup champions trophy away from home they competed well they did better than most now test cricket yeah the draw in england draw in australia win in pakistan were great but again uh, i mean the, the the west indies they couldn't finish off the job so it was a bit of a balanced tokard i would rate him a slightly better uh, one day captain but the only problem was he didn't lead from the front in terms of scoring like rahul dravid did now rahul dravid i'll give him a lot of points for being a, a leading from the front a great test match captain in one day cricket he had the building blocks in place but unfortunately didn't get the results now ms dhoni I'll have to rate him as the best Indian one-day cricket captain, and because he pretty much copied Arjuna Ranatunga, right? Arjuna Ranatunga's style of stifling bowling, uh, using spin as a weapon, and how do you set a bit of you know semi-negative fields and dry up and win? He was a master craftsman, right? He really, really took the Arjuna Ranatunga and Sri Lankan template for bowling, and pretty much copied and made it an Indian version. So a lot of credit to him for. be able to do that and with all the icc championship trophy and world cup wins now as a test captain and i had the misfortune of being there at the scg for three and a half days in 2011 12 my gosh right he was horrible he wouldn't even speak to anybody whenever ball goes to the boundary a fielder will follow he was like a daisical he, he just wasn't there i mean he he looked disinterested he wasn't there so i wouldn't rate dhoni as a great test match captain pretty average but a great one day captain virat kohli um he has to be called as an epoch defining captain in terms of what he's doing but i would agree with uh, sudatha because we'll have to wait for somebody to retire before you make a judgment right so you don't know how the things will pan out and afta brought up an interesting point will virat kohli play under someone or is he going to be if i'm not the captain i'm going to play so it's going to be hard for us to make those judgment calls we'll have to give another 18 24 months to see where it is but still virat one point right for all the talent for all the bowling riches india's lost in new zealand 
India hasn't won in England as it. India has lost in South Africa. The two wins in Australia were great, right? So you have to give a lot of credit to it. So for the for the pool of players, for the talent supply available, has Virat Kohli won enough as a Test match captain? Not yet, and he hasn't won in the ICC major tournaments as a captain. So he's got a few things to do, even to be rated as the greatest captain. But the fitness culture, the fast bowling culture, and more importantly, I think one thing what we don't get give credit Virat Kohli for is a lot of people in England and Australia are talking about how 100 has de- destroyed cricket, uh, how B- Big Bash has destroyed cricket, etc. But in India, of course, IPL is played out in a different slot, which is summer. But whenever India traveled to England in 2011-14, IPL had its uh, ramifications in terms of people not being ready, being injured, not playing county cricket. If you look at Virat Kohli, he has played, I mean, he has really negotiated with the board to make sure whether it's Pujara or Ashwin, they played county cricket. He has allowed Indian players to go to county cricket. He's given the importance to test cricket as a number one game. To me, in a country with IPL, which, I, which is IPL mad, where attention span is short, what Virat Kohli has done to the game of test cricket will have a long-lasting legacy. I fear for test cricket all over the world, especially in India if people like Virat Kohli goes. And if that passion is not translated into that, it could become a case of test cricket becoming a little bit of in a spot of bother. So that is already his defined legacy. In terms of performances, let's wait for his um, career to end. It's a bit of a long-winded answer. No, I expected nothing less. So that was really good. Uh, and I think we are all in agreement uh, to wrap this up. It's gone really into overtime. This is like uh, the sixth day, you know, of test cricket. So thank you all for doing this. I know there's uh, different time zones. It's a Sunday. It's getting very late in Sydney, you know. So thank you very much. You can all unmute. It was a pleasure. And I, I apologize if I cut someone off and didn't give you enough chances. Uh, this was also a new challenge for me to manage five speakers, but uh, I had a lot of fun and I will enjoy this again when I edit this later tonight. Thank you all for joining. Thank, thank you. Absolute pleasure. Thank you. It's a pleasure. Cheers. Thank, thank you. Thank you all.